people what is happening and welcome to another edition of talking during movies the podcast where we take key moments and quotes from a film to drive a conversation and these are the fun ones for me because this is like the behind the scenes this is where we get our insight we get a little juicy details about not just how movies are made but more importantly how stories are told and folks this is the one you want to listen to because you're going into the holidays. You're gonna sit around the table with friends and family. They're gonna ask you how your year went. Or maybe you're gonna send out that letter that's gonna be like, hey, 2020, sure, it can start with dumpster fire, but there's some elegance. There's some beautiful things that happened this year. And storytellers know how to bring that out in the, in, even in the darkest moments, some of the shining lights. And, and the, uh, the film that was pick, picked today does that exactly the same. It's, it's a beautiful film. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today for the podcast is uh, George Siegel. He, uh, he has, you got to check him out, movetheworldfilms.org. That's movetheworldfilms.org. And I want to read this from his website. You know, he says, one of my father's favorite quotes was from Archimedes. Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world. And that inspired Move the World Films. So folks, give us your ears, give us your time, and uh, please welcome uh, the often copied, never duplicated, George Siegel. George, how are you, sir? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me as a guest. And it's great to hear my, uh, my dad's quote, because he said it to me my whole life, and um, it stuck. It was, it was one that you remember, and that's pretty cool. I like it. I like it a lot. We've... Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk over Shawshank Redemption, you know, and uh, you said you know it's, it's, you've seen it so many times. One of your favorite films. What is it about this movie that you like so much? I like the character that Morgan Freeman played, and the way he developed that friendship with Andy, and how they set about to do something, and and, and that picture at the end when you see him walking up the beach with the boat on the beach. It is just I mean, it gives me chills. And I, I, I've probably seen the movie 20, 30 times. It's one of those things, anytime it's on, if I'm skimming channels, I stop yeah. because of how much I love that film. And it's, I, I just think it was, it was so incredibly well done that it just, uh, lines from the film just resonate with me. You know, it's just, I thought so it was great. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, Shawshank, you know, it, it starts with uh, the, the worst way to end a relationship, if you will, right? The violence of ending of a, of, a, of a relationship. Going into a darkness where there shouldn't be a relationship. In fact, it should just be raw punishment. And instead it turns into probably his most valuable relationship in his life. 
when you look at what your dad told you, you look at that quote and you think about not 2020, but you think about the struggles that you've had and a searching for the lever, the right one to move the world the right way. Do you see parts of this of dark moments turning into good, strong relationships? Do you see that in your own life as well? At times, you know, I, I, when you define dark moments, you know, I thought I had a pretty good career when I was in front of the camera. Obviously, that was I did that for 14 years and then I decided I wanted to be behind the scenes. Um, and there's a lot of dark moments when you're in broadcasting because, you know, you have jobs where you think you're going in a certain direction and then you lose that job for whatever reason you get fired or um, you move on to another place. And so it. I grew up when I grew up in Southern California and we saw the same people on the news every day for 20 years. <laughs> and there I was moving around the country every two or three years to a new job because I kept wanting to do better. I, I was never content where I was. I always wanted to try to do better. And there's a lot of rejection along the way. And, and with broadcasting in, in television in particular, it's very personal rejection. It's your face. They're rejecting. Yeah. They're looking at you and they don't want you. And so you have to develop a thick skin. And I think the pushing that my father did growing up made me realize I was never going to quit because he wasn't a quitter. He had his ups and downs. He had some dark times, but he always fought through and he always took care of us. And so that motivated me to try to follow in those footsteps. And I, I hope I did a good job at it. You know, you, you know, my dad's gone now. And so when you look back, you, you think of all the great things. And I'd like to hope someday that my kids have that same experience. Well, you know, when you look at, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, every generation seems like, oh, the, the, the news has it wrong now. It used to be better, you know, and, and, and the generation before it's like, oh, if you, our news was bad too. Um, I, I wonder, you know, as, as, as you look at the news now that, now that you're making movies and you're, you know, you're actually generating news about yourself instead of delivering the news, is it sometimes hard for you to watch the news? I think it's next to impossible because there's, it's, it's so agenda driven. It's not giving you a story and letting you have an opinion. It's telling you how they see the story. And so you then gravitate to a place where you believe what they're telling you. So if I have a certain position, I know which channel I can watch. Mm -hmm. And that's not the news that I grew up on. You know, we used to, when we'd go out and cover a story or do something, we tried to keep our personal feelings out of it. We tried to just cover the story. Now, and maybe that sounds all noble and you're going, yeah, right, everybody has an opinion, but it's gone so far now. You know, that expression, they jumped the shark. TV yeah. news is way over that now. And I don't enjoy it. I don't like seeing these egomaniacal broadcasters preaching to us about things. It's just, it's very frustrating to watch. And I know they're better than that, but they, that the whole, to me, that industry has really taken a turn that, that makes it less interesting for me to watch. Do you try to take that idea from the news that you just explained where it's like, hey, I'm going to give you something and then you make a decision. Do you try to bring elements of that into the films that you do now? Absolutely. And I think, I feel that's important. And I've watched a lot of documentaries over the years and there's very famous uh, filmmakers. And you know, when you're going to see their film, you know what the position is. <laughs> you know, if you're going to see uh, so-and-so's film, you know they're going to feel a certain way and this is what they're going to try to do. They're gotcha films where Republicans are trying to nail Democrats, Democrats are trying to nail Republicans, people are going after social media. You know, there's always, you can come away with a lot of that. 
the ones that are less successful, more art films that people make have, you know, there's so many talented documentary filmmakers out there. They don't have as strong a position. And I try to be somewhere in the middle. When you watch a, a, my film, my most recent film, The Last House Standing, my position is advocating for the homeowner, for the apartment renter, for the, the little person who's going to lose everything if there's a disaster. So you can throw politics out the window. Now you have to go through politics to change things. Mm -hmm. But in terms of just what the film's about and the, the message we tried to get across, I try not to take a position because I have some strong positions that I would have loved to put in the film, but I don't think that it would have been interesting. I wanted something that everybody could watch, not a percentage of people because it would piss them off. Yeah. yeah that's that, you know, it's, uh, it seems like, especially for maybe the last decade, documentary films have, have really taken off. Uh, whether it's, Sto maybe storytelling's gotten better. What do you think has changed in documentary films, especially over the last decade where there seems to be more of them and they seem to be getting better and better every, every year? Well, first of all, as I said, there's so many talented people out there that, that, can, that pick up a camera and tell a story, but now anybody can get a camera. You know, you can use your iPhone and shoot it. There's a couple shots in our film that I shot on the beach with my iPhone that I put it on 4K and I used them in the film because we needed a few shots. Mm -hmm. So anybody now has a camera and everybody has an opinion. So they think they can go out and tell stories and they tell some fantastic stories. You know, if you ever watch a short film online or if, you know, not necessarily Netflix, but Netflix has them, Hulu has them, Amazon has them. They're all on those stations. There's some great stories out there that, that people have told. And I think because of the access where it's easier to get editing software now, it's easier to have a camera that people try to do it now what separates the really good from the bad is you still have to know how to put a story together. You still, I think, you know, it's nice to have good sound. It's good to have the, it lit properly. And to me, there's no replacing a professional videographer. There's no replacing a professional editor. I mean, those guys do things that I couldn't do. They're much more talented than I am. And then our music was composed by somebody. I can't do that. Yeah. So you, you have to piece together elements to make it better than just a guy walking around with a camera capturing stuff, because then I don't think enough people will watch that. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I, uh, I've, always had, I've always loved documentary films because there's, there's an attitude of a reveal almost. It's like you're showing me something from your brain, right? You're, you're giving me some insight that maybe I wouldn't see or wouldn't go out and look for because I just didn't know. You know, uh, whether it's, the, you know, the, the, from famous ones that took off late, you know, like Icarus was around for a while. And then all of a sudden, you know, Joe Rogan saw it and started talking about doping and, you know, it, it took off and it was, it was fascinating, you know, but they, to your point about stories, I wonder, you know, I, I, and saying, you know, who can tell a good story and it's got to be, there's elements to it outside of a good story, but that, that has to be the basis. You told stories from a neutral point in news, you're telling different stories again in film. Was your house growing up, were you guys storytellers? Um, we would always be making stuff up. I mean, we were, you know, so yeah, whether we were getting in trouble or uh, telling lies, whatever we did as kids growing up, I had uh, two sisters growing up and we would, we're always into doing something or playing some game or, you know, we didn't have the kind of media that exists now. I, you know, I used to joke with uh, talking to my sister about this the other day that when we got cable, it was such a big deal. And there was one channel on cable with this box 
It was called the Theta Channel in uh, Los Angeles. And they played this movie by, um, uh, it was called Zardoz by, um, the, gosh, I'm totally zoning on the, the, the first Bond that just passed away. Help me out here. The which uh, one Sean Connery. Oh, Sean, okay. Sean Connery, one of the greatest actors of all time. I'm, I'm slapping myself for missing the name, but um, that movie played all the time. That was the only movie on there. <laughs> and <laughs> now you have 5,000 channels you can watch. Yeah. So it's just totally different now. So it, I guess you could, you could say it's good because you can get anything on, but the audience is so fragmented that you really have to find where your audience is and try to go get them because if you want to have people see your film. Oh, I was listening to an interview with Rob Lowe and he was talking about a TV show he was on when he was a kid and it bombed and it hit like 4 million households and it was the lowest rated show. But it was also when there were three channels, ABC, NBC and CBS. I mean, yeah. now if you get 4 million viewers, right? I mean, you're, you're killing it. You're doing great. Absolutely. Because a good night, I think on some cable channels is around a million people and the audiences are so divided up because there's so many places to go that as a filmmaker, you know, you sit there and you go, gosh, how do I get my film on Netflix or how do I get it on Amazon Prime? Because that's where most of the people go and yeah. you want to try to be there. But for a small filmmaker, unless you hit lightning in a bottle or know somebody mm -hmm. or, you know, have some kind of connection, you're not getting on there with your film because it's so competitive. So we have to find other ways to try to get our work out there so an audience can find us. Is that where Vimeo comes in and now YouTube with their, where you can pay for stuff on YouTube? Is that where those, those newer channels come in to help you guys out? They help, you know, with, with our film, we found a company that is going to make it available to all the public television stations in the country. Wow. And what they do is they put, well, we don't know that they're all gonna run it, but they put it up on a satellite. And then now I have to bug each one of these stations and say, look, I have this film that's very relevant to your audience. I hope you'll air it and put it on your schedule. So we're hoping to get a lot of coverage on public television. Mm -hmm. And we also have it on our website where it will be available eventually for a nominal fee because, you know, as a filmmaker, you, you don't make a lot of money making films. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we'll end up putting it on there eventually. But it's, it's finding that audience and that's not easy to do, you know, because like I say, I, I tried submitting it to Netflix and it's tough. You know, they, I'm sure they get a million projects. So some guy who, an intern is probably sitting there going, nah, we don't need this, we don't need that, we don't need this. So they probably never even take a look at it. And so it just makes it more challenging. So you have to find another way, which is what we're gonna do. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with, uh, with the unfortunate instance that happened with COVID, right? And then all these movies now coming out streaming, it baffles my mind. Obviously, you know, I see the world differently and I'm not at Netflix or Amazon or HBO, but the fact that, Netflix and Amazon don't have an independent channel. Like, hey, here are your independent documentaries. Here's your shorts. Like, they don't have a channel for it. They don't have a section for that. Blows my mind. Because they're in the business of building people up, theoretically. Especially more, more comics than anything else, right? I mean, you know, it used to be you wanted to make it, you went, you're a comic, Johnny Carson. Then it was, oh, you got the HBO one-hour special, and that was the big deal. And then there was Showtime's evening at evening at the uh at the apollo right and there was those things that happened that were pivotal moments and now it's can you get your movie or can you get your one hour special on netflix or amazon but i don't understand why they're always missing the boat 
on the independent unless the independent has already taken off? Well, for most people, like I say, I'm in some some groups with other filmmakers and I, I watch their work and I go, wow, this, this, these people are talented. This is great. And there's a lot of people that have projects that people would love. They would be very impressed with. You know, one of the ways filmmakers try to get attention for their film is film festivals. But COVID has changed all that. Yeah. We got into 15 film festivals. All of the ones where we could have gone to were canceled. So we didn't get to go meet people and talk about our film and, and get that experience. And then the others were online where you're kind of disconnected from it mm -hmm. and you don't get that one-on-one -on -one thing. So it's tough. I mean, you know, to, to, it's, it's easy to sit here and, and to look at Netflix or Amazon or any of those people and go, you know, that really sucks that we can't have access to something like that, but that's just the way it is. So, yeah. you know, I don't sit there crying about what I can't have. I mean, maybe a little bit, but uh, <laughs> overall, you know, the people that get on their things, you know, look at it like a, if you're a former president, if you're a famous actor, when those guys do a project, because of who they are, they bring an audience with them. Mm -hmm. So it's only natural for an organization or a company to say, well, let's take that film because, you know, I, I'll use the Obamas as an example. They have such a large following. Who's not going to, that they're following, they're going to bring millions of people to see that film, whether it's good or bad. Sure. If, if George Siegel has a film, we have to find an audience. You know, you ha it's more work. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that path of least resistance, the, the famous people have an advantage and the unknowns have to have to find another way. Do you, it seems like also over the last decade or so, especially with the, uh, the growth of the Discovery Network and Net Geo, the, uh, the documentary miniseries has really become a big deal. Uh, have you, have you looked at doing something like that where you, you're, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's a lot more time, um, obviously chopped up differently, but have you, have you thought about those as well? I would love to do things like that, but that requires more money. It's more expensive yeah. to do that. And really? so more the challenge, well, to make a multiple series, yeah. you need a bigger staff. Um, you need, it, it takes more resources to do it. You know, we had a very small crew on our film, you know, it's probably four or five people did all the work. Wow. on our film and if you look at the credits of most movies there's hundreds of people in them mm -hmm. because every little detail has to be looked after and even when you get out there to shoot you know when you're a small crew like we are you do your own lighting you do your own setup um a, a bigger production crew may have may have eight or ten people plus a craft services truck that pulls up outside so they everybody can eat and a makeup person you know i've i've been in those situations where i've been hired by other people but not everybody gets that. You're pretty much on the on your own. So you have to do more things. To have a series, the great equalizer in making projects is money. We were fortunate to raise the money we needed to make this film. We had some very good supporters. Um, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Nobody invests in a documentary, most, in most cases, to make money. You're doing it because you believe in the cause. Sure. And um, so it's, it's very difficult to, to do that. The Last House Standing lends itself to multiple episodes because there are so many things that people are not prepared for when it comes to their home. You know, if I told you, if, if I said, Jason, you got five minutes to run into your house and grab some, everything you, that means something to you because your house is going to burn down in 10 minutes, you wouldn't have the first clue 
where everything was and how you would get it that quickly. True. If, if, if your house got wiped out by a hurricane tomorrow, how would you start over? Do you have the right insurance? Have you, do you have a, an evacuation plan? Do you know how your house would do in that kind of storm? You know, if a tornado hit, do you have a storm cellar? Uh, do you have an event? You know, there's so many things that people don't think about. And that's why our subject, I think, is so important because the goal is to be the last house standing, right? You don't want to have your house wiped out. We, we interviewed so many people who lost everything. And it's just heartbreaking to see. And in, in many cases, the rich people that lose everything, they're just as messed up as, the, as somebody who's struggling. Mm -hmm. But the poor person may never recover from that. You know, if you have a $75,000 house that you had a mortgage on, but no insurance and your house is wiped out by a flood, starting over is next to impossible. But those same people like in Hurricane Harvey in, uh, in Houston, they could have got flood insurance for three or 400 bucks because they weren't in a flood zone. They were just in an area that ended up getting flooded. But most of those poor folks did not have flood insurance. So they lost everything. So it, and explain that real quick, because I don't think people quite get that. When you say they lost everything, someone's like, oh, they'll just build a new home. I don't think people understand what that means. I mean, I live here in Austin, Texas. I was real close to, to watching that damage, and, I, and I've worked in the mortgage and housing industry for the last uh, 25 years. But please explain what that means, lost everything, because I really want that to resonate with people. Well, if you have a house, let's use a, an example of a $100,000 house. Mm -hmm. and you have a mortgage on it for $80,000 and no insurance other than maybe some content and um, regular insurance, homeowner's insurance on your house. Because to have a mortgage, you have to have homeowner's insurance. Sure. Um, a, a hurricane comes through, wipes out your house. Well, hurricanes aren't under the normal coverage for damage in a house. It's usually an extra insurance policy or addendum to your policy that you have to have because the damage might be from flooding. If you don't have a specific flood insurance policy, they're not gonna cover anything. And then you have all the items in your house. Well, how many people catalog everything in their house and say, yeah, I had this new big screen TV, I had this blender, I had a new toaster oven. And they're gonna go, okay, where's the receipt? Where are the pictures? And you're gonna go, I don't have those. Well, great, get in line, we're not paying it. <laughs> I'll give you the ultimate story of how insurance companies stick it to people. We interviewed the mayor of Malibu after the fire that they had back in 2018. And he told us he had a house that was fully paid off. He did not have a mortgage and his house burned to the ground in the fire. He filed his claim with the insurance company and they said, we're not paying you. And he goes, why not? Every, I've done everything correctly. They said, you have to take us to court if you wanna get paid. So he had to get a court date and his court date was two years from when the fire happened. And in two years, that insurance company will pay him because they owe him the money. But until that time, he doesn't have a mortgage. So they're not fighting a bank, right? There's not another heavyweight fighting for you. It's you against the insurance company. And they're just making him wait two years to get his money. Now, there's not a jury in the world that's going to side with an insurance company over a homeowner. I, that's yeah. why those guys, most of them ever go to court, right? They have arbitration in ways that they can slither through and, and not have to face a jury because juries aren't gonna like them. But this, this guy's completely screwed because of that. And those are the kind of things that happen. You know, your house burns down and the permitting has changed in your neighborhood. So you can't rebuild it the way it was when it was torn down. Or all the artifacts passed down from generations in your family 
that your grandparents gave your parents that gave they gave you you can't replace that stuff nothing brings that back money doesn't bring it back no it's, it's also it's very interesting too you bring up like do you have pictures of that do you have a receipt of that and people are like that's in my house i mean usually you keep the receipt because you want to return something you don't hold uh -huh. on the receipt because there could be a fire or a flood i mean i always we have a skylight and every time there's a storm i'm looking up at that fucking skylight and i'm like uh, that rain's coming down pretty hard <laughs> and has your have you looked at your insurance policy to know if you would be covered if that skylight broke because that's not a traditional route so you might want to read your policy I and you might not have coverage if that skylight breaks and water comes pouring in you might want to check that wow you know I think and, about that's part of the roof this is where my dumb, dumb brain goes, right? Because I'm a simple kid from Montana, right? I'm like this almost 50-year-old guy from Montana who just is like, it's done on a handshake and you might get popped in the nose, but then I'm going to pick you up and buy you a beer, right? This is the, the, the dumb, dumb world I live in. And my wife just shakes her head at me. She's like, you're a moron. Yeah, I'm shaking my head at you right now too, because that's not the way the world works. You know, you know how when you go to Las Vegas and there's all these places you can get chips and a very small place where you can cash them in. You know, the, it's not the same amount of places because nobody's yeah. really cashing them in. And that's how I look at the insurance industry. It's like, you give them money for years and when it's time to get your money back, they'll find ways, if everything's not done properly, to not give it to you. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's, that's their job, that's their industry. So you can walk around your house with your iPhone or your whatever smartphone you have and in 15 minutes, take pictures of everything that you have. And then you put it in the cloud somewhere. So you have a record. So if, if you did have to face a disaster, you could at least show them. You'll be ahead of everybody else in line if you have that. How are they going to believe you? Because what do most people do if your car gets broken into? You mentioned a few other things that might have been in there just to cover the deductible. I lost all these tapes. I had a camera in there. And you, know, you try to come up with ways to, mm -hmm. to, to, to game your end. These guys aren't stupid. Yeah. You better have pictures. You better have proof that you had that stuff. Wow, it's, it's so interesting because once again, it's not, it is the difference between the average person and the way they think of life, right? They're just kind of cruising through life. They're like, oh, you know, I pay my insurance. I got food in the fridge, you know, uh, we're good. And then they don't look at the nuances of, of the business, if you will. And to your point, and I really like the way you put it, it's, you know, it's, they're a business and they're running as a business, right? So their mm -hmm. business is not, oh, I'm sorry, let me write you a big fat check for your house. Because most of them are publicly traded and they've got, you know, board members and they've got, you know, they've, they've, they've got investors and they've got, they've got shareholders that they have to, uh, they have to account for. And it brings up a bigger thing that I've been talking to people a lot about. And I think 2020 has highlighted this, but your movie has highlighted it long before 2020. I'd like your thoughts on this. There seems to be a growing disconnect, a grand canyon, if you will, of our wallets and our hearts. And we don't know how to mend it. Well, there's a line in our film that I think describes how people live. And it might come back to what you just said. Perfect. Hope is not a strategy. So <laughs> you're, I buy this nice house and I'm hoping nothing's ever gonna happen to me. Sure. But that's not a strategy for anything. 
Mm -hmm. And so you may use that wallet and buy lots of nice things. One of the gentlemen, a 91-year-old man that, that's in our film in, that lived in Malibu, had an old Mercedes that was in his garage that's a collector's item, old car, that it wasn't running. So he just took the insurance off of it, burned up completely, and melted down to nothing. He had an, a classic old MG car that he had no insurance on because it was just sitting there in the garage, lost it completely coins that melted down that he had collected over the years. It, it's, there's so many things. And, and now we all have so much stuff. Maybe we all need to watch the minimalist movie and, uh, and get rid of everything because we all have too much crap around. I know I do. And you, you, what are you doing to protect it? It's like we have a warehouse of stuff, but do we know what would happen to it? Is it really going to be there? Will we get anything for it when, it, when a disaster strikes? And nobody ever, you know, I, I tell my kids this when they go out driving. They, I always say, be careful. They go, of course I'm going to be careful. I said, look, nobody ever goes out and plans on getting in an accident. You don't say, hey, I'm going to drive to work today and I'm going to get in a head-on collision. The accident happened. And so the question is, were you wearing your seatbelt? Did you have a safe vehicle? Were you, were you sober when you were driving? Were you driving at a dangerous time more than the other time? There's so many variables that come into place. And it's the same with owning a house. It's the same with renting an apartment. You know, I live in Tampa, Florida, right down the street from my house. They're building an apartment Ooh. complex on the water. Where are you at in Tampa? I mean, don't give us your exact address. We used, my wife and I had a condo in Tampa for a bit, and she, I love Tampa. she lived in Tampa for 10 years. She loves Tampa. It's an awesome place, and, but so is Austin. My wife is, uh, went to school there and, and lived there for a while. That's where I met her. And I love Austin, too, so I, I love Texas as well. But anyway, they're building yeah. this apartment on the, on the water out of wood. The whole building is wood. That's insane. Are they going to rebuild it every three years? Maybe. You know <laughs> what their calculation is when they're building it? Is that, well, if it burns down or blows away, we'll build it again. That has to be the mentality behind that because there's no way that you could say that that's a safe structure and, and will last. So they're building that. And now you have all the people that will move in there. So now all the people that bring their stuff in there and are living in this place, I just think that's crazy and yeah. you, because you're thinking nothing is going to happen to you. If you, you being from Tampa or having been here, our city is a bullseye for disaster. We had a, a tropical storm hit us this November. There's a path coming up off the Gulf mm -hmm. that is the disaster path for Tampa, where it moves from like southwest to northeast and pushes all the water into the bay. Well, this was just a tropical storm. And we have some friends whose houses were completely flooded in a tropical storm. So now imagine a category three or four hurricane rolling through here. This place would be leveled. It would be completely devastated. Oh, there is, we, she, we, she had her condo um, in the bay next to the International Mall there in town. Uh -huh. She was really like stones throw from there. And then we have another friend who lives off an island. She lives on an island. She has some crazy flood insurance. You gotta look, cross a little drawbridge and get to her little house. Uh, you know, and she's got this, beautiful but you know she's on an island right there and mm -hmm. it floods i mean her flood insurance is almost as much as her mortgage it's crazy because she's got absolutely covered but the reason i, I freaked out about the wood thing is because she's got a wood balcony that's a second story wood balcony and i'm like jen i'm not going out on that balcony i'm an old fat man i'm gonna fall through <laughs> That wood looks like a wind, you know, a butterfly with those rusty ass nails. And me, you know, I'm going to crack open a beer. I'm going to fall right to the ground. And she goes, yeah. oh, yeah, don't go out there. It's, I'm like, well, why do you have it? 
<laughs> she goes, I just replace it like every five years. Well, that's crazy that it's, that it's built like that. And the house we featured in Mexico Beach, Florida, that's the true last house standing that survived mm -hmm. um, Hurricane Michael. You can see where other houses washed by it and hit it on the sides of the houses where they were other people's debris as it was getting washed to oblivion hit their house. And even on this house that had concrete beams that go 40 feet into the sand, there was one area in the roof where they had a plug for a fan or something one little opening in the roof and that's where the roof opened up in the hurricane so a hurricane will find your weakest point and it will expose it so that's really the mi mindset you have to have is you know everybody should know they should walk around their house and go where am i vulnerable here well, hurricanes what? are like jail <laughs> they find your weakest point right they do yeah <laughs> exactly they'll find it I, you know it, the, the funny thing is and it, you, there's and I'm going I'm to wrap this into the movie in this odd way, but please follow along with me here. There's, there's an emotional weight that comes, you know, with being put in prison. There's an emotional weight of, of fear, of gangs, of, of assault, of a lot of things happening. My buddy Holden Lewis, who used to write at Bankrate, and I think he's at Nerd Wallet now or somewhere else. Um, he was, you know, we, we, he was chatting with me years ago. Uh, I think it was after Hurricane Andrew, and he said one of the things that happens is this emotional fear that's tied along with hurricanes, that when the storm picks up again, people get nervous, they get apprehensive, they get anxious. Did you see that in the people you were talking with, with Last House Standing of, you know, it's like, shit, it's starting to rain, and instantly people are just a little bit itchy because they just lost everything because of rain. In, in, in the areas that we went for the film, I would say yes, because a lot of those houses still didn't have roofs on them. They had blue tarps oh. draped over them. And what happened to them, you know, with your, with your prison analogy, what happened in reality in places like this, all the crooks come in, the bottom feeders, to take advantage of the people who've just been wiped out by a storm. So your house, you have a house, your roof gets blown off. And some guys in a truck drive by and say, hey, I can put a tarp on that for you. It's going to cost you $5,000. And when your roof is leaking and your family is sitting there shivering and, and you're looking at all your stuff getting ruined, you pay the $5,000 and you get a guy that doesn't even know how to put a tarp on the roof. So he rips you off. Then another guy comes to and says, I can fix that roof for you, but you have to sign your insurance over to us and we'll get the claim. We'll work with you to get the money to do it. And then you never see him again. So it, it brings out the low. What I like to see in this country is when there's a disaster, you see the true heroes step up. There's a lot of amazing people, you know, our first responders, when there's a disaster, whether it's FEMA, the Red Cross, whatever group comes in to, to help, firefighters, police officers. But there's that second wave of, of lowlifes and criminals that also come in to take advantage of people who are vulnerable. And we had a story, one of the people that was showing us around in Panama City is actually accused of stealing from them and taking their money. And they've all filed lawsuits against this person. So it's just unbelievable that a victim will continue to be victimized. And that's why what our film tries to say is don't let yourself become that person. Mm -hmm. Once you've put your fate in the hands of other people, Anything can happen to you. You know, the three little pigs story is a great story for that. You know, I want to be the pig living in the brick house and have everybody come over 
although you have a tough choice if, if everybody wants to come over because they didn't do their job, <laughs> do you let them in, right? <laughs> I like to think I would, but I don't know. Um, so that's the dilemma. It's right. It's, it's you want to be prepared and you want to do what you can because when you become a victim, you lose control. You are no longer in control. You're relying on people to help you get food. You're relying on people to get you money. You're relying on people to rebuild your house. And there's good people out there and there's a lot of bad people out there. And we saw them in Panama City. We hear stories about them in other places and it's, it's disgusting. We did uh, this last bad storm, a uh, small hurricane that came through the Gulf and hit Houston and, and uh, parts of Louisiana. Uh, my daughter and I are big on road trips. We've driven to Denver, uh, driven up to Montana together. And we, uh, I was like, we're going to go meet my wife in Tampa. And I said, well, we're going we're gonna to rent a car and we're going to drive. So wife flies, kid and I drive. And I look at her, I'm like, let's rent a car. She goes, great. I go, what kind of car do you want to rent? <laughs> you know, and she has no concept of, of age or jokes or anything. She's like, that and it was a bright red convertible mustang nice. <laughs> i was like you know what i can look like an asshole for my kid it's fine it's okay right it's 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 gonna be fine so i call out you know I, I book it obviously i tell her i'm like hey it's not guaranteed it's gonna be red it's not guaranteed we're gonna get a convertible but this is what we've booked we hope it's available call up in advance as i'm driving up there ask the guy i go hey goes, it's here we've got it i go can you just do me a favor can you just have it pulled up to the front like, this is a big deal for my kid. It really is. So we go up the escalator, get to the top, cherry red, brand new, convertible Mustang. She's like, that's it. I go, that's our car. Let's go. So we get the car, drive home, pack up next morning, leave at four in the morning. And I refuse to take the major highways. I'm taking two lane roads the whole way. And as we get into the hurricane zone, I had forgotten that they limit gas. So that first responders always, you know, they have access to unleaded fuel and diesel fuel. Uh, but these stores, these, these little gas stations are still open. So we fill up before we hit the zone and we're driving through and we're about a half a tank and we're pulling over and I'm teaching my daughter, one, I'm showing her the power of a storm. Because to see what happened, to see not just the homes destroyed, to see the railroad cars just blown across fields is, 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 is terrifying when you think about it as far as, oh, I don't weigh as much as that. I'm not as big as that. That's crazy. Driving her through and stopping in these little stores, stopping in these little diners, you know, where the, half their roofs ripped off. They, they can barely serve food. They're just basically selling water. Mm -hmm. Go up, two waters, please. Here you go. You know, it's five bucks. Thank you. Sir, your waters. No, no, no. You drink them, go give them to someone else. Shit, resell them again. I don't care. I just want to, you know what? I, I'm not going to come in and give you money. You're, you're working your butt off, I, but I'll pay for something. And then you drink it or give it to somebody else or I don't care. And my, my daughter's like, well, dad, what are we doing? And I go, we're just trying to help these people out. We're not rich, but we can afford 10 bucks to buy some waters and then we don't need them. We got water in the car. But kid, you got to understand two things. This is what happens when the storm comes through and whether these people are prepared or not is inconsequential to we're here and we can help out a little bit. And you always got to help your brother, or your sister in need. You just do. And as we got through, we got close, we got into Florida and we were, uh, we start uh, all the uh, coastly, all the uh, natural parks, all the parks that are on the coast there. Mm -hmm. Driving through, you drive through Montana 
there's a dead deer on the side of the road in every park. There just the deer got hit. I didn't realize y'all can run over some alligators. That could cause major problems. There was a half alligator on the road. We've got the top down. <laughs> and she's screaming, put the top up because it's cut in half. Some semi drove over it. It's cut in half. Its jaws are wide open. Yeah, some big gators. She's reaching over to my arm. She's grabbing my arm. She's like, Dad, Dad, put the top up. I'm like, we're going 40. Like, the top's staying down. <laughs> like, we're just... Yeah. We're, but it was, it was crazy to think. And, you know, and I didn't know if, because of the storm, if more gators moved into the area and then they got hit by cars, if they were just naturally there. But it was a cool thing um, to express to my daughter in some capacity of, you know, the power of nature. Uh, and, and what it can do, and also the power of kindness and what it can do, you know, in, in those moments to hopefully deconstruct a little bit of what you brought up of, of, of the, uh, the grifting uh, criminal element that comes through those areas so aggressively and so quickly. Absolutely. And, and there's so many good people that want to help. And the problem we have, especially these last few years, is Panama City, Mexico Beach gets wiped out. And then a month later, there's a disaster somewhere else. And the news media gravitates to where the disaster is. The light's shining on that area. Everybody says, let's help them. We want to help these guys. But then they leave. Mm -hmm. Well, the place that they left is still a mess. You know, Mexico Beach may never be the same. It could take 10, 15 years to rebuild that. Panama City, they were telling us that they, 600 teachers left right after the storm. Students were disappearing and never coming back. There's a lot of military families there that had to relocate because of the damage to the military base. And it, lives are forever changed. The hotels and, and, and beach industry, there's no longer a hotel or a beach industry there. So all those people are out of work. And it's the trickle-down effect. If you, if you can't physically drive through, the, I've never seen anything like Mexico Beach. And I've been in some, some bad disaster areas. But when you see how it's completely wiped clean of homes, you know, it's just, it's, it's stunning to see that kind of, all the trees that blow over like toothpicks mm -hmm. and are snapped in half. You know, um, I went up to Moore, Oklahoma in 1998 to cover a uh, tornado there, an F5 tornado. Mm -hmm. And there was a two by four piece of wood that was driven into the front of a church. And I've tried to explain to my kids how impossible that would be to duplicate that if you picked up that two by four, I said, and you were big and strong and ran as fast as you could, you'd probably break your hands or get injured if you held on to it. This wood was embedded in the concrete of the church. You know, we interviewed a woman who had a bathtub and a mattress on her completely empty slab. That was all she had left. And she held the mattress over her when the storm hit, the, the tornado hit. And when she took the mattress off, everything else was gone. It looked like they scraped it clean to rebuild it. Whoa. So the power of these disasters is, is hard to imagine. And that makes it even more important for people to be prepared. You know, it all circles back to that. Because once you become a victim in any situation, you're relying on somebody else. And yeah. that's, that makes it tough. Do you think, you know, and, and, and maybe this is just, whether it's, if it's human nature or the way we absorb content now, but you know, uh, to, to your point about the next storm comes, the media leaves, and like what happens to to these areas? You know, it's it's reminiscent to me of 2020 
uh, and racial communications. And what I mean by that is, is that let's take Austin, for example, right? We had a big problem in Austin. And there were some officer-involved shootings, and there have been, obviously, you know, we're, we're in, a, in a southern, though very liberal area, and there have, you know, there, there are still some, what, for lack of a better term, some old guard or racism that still exists. It just does. But what I see happening over and over again, whether it's Ferguson or Austin or anything else, what I see happening continually is something pops. We're like, oh, shit put a Band-Aid on it, what can we do? How can we appease you? Who do you wanna to talk to? You wanna have time with the mayor? All right, let's get, do, do, do. and then it's gone. And we, it's never addressed again. Versus, like I know in Austin, I don't care who the mayor was, whether you like the mayor or not, in three months from now, he's not bringing African-American, Hispanic, white, LBGBQ, small business owners, large business owners, he's not bringing all of them together like a city council and asking how relations are going. He's not bringing them all together and, and, and making sure that the promises that were made when things were really bad and tensions were at their highest are being followed or honored or, or that the pathways are being built so that those things can happen. And that seems to be the same thing with storms. It's like, oh shit, this happened. Red Cross, someone write a check. Go, 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 go. Next storm, get out of here. Go, and it's it's a band aid versus a fix. How do we change that? I think that well, there's two ways. One is impossible. One is the way you're talking about hoping that racism and 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 other problems get corrected by having government get involved and educate people. That's a hard thing to get all people to agree on. So what what my film is trying to get across is. Take control of your destiny yourself. Mm -hmm. You as a person picking a place to live, you can have a hand in your safety from the beginning by, by the choices that you make. And, and we have to start demanding more. You know, I can believe in my heart how bad racism is, but I can't affect you and tell you how to do it. That's sure. gonna be your problem. But with my house, I can make sure my house is safe by doing certain things. I can, I can cover a lot of bases myself and if enough people start doing that, we have to raise the bar. We have to raise the game because the building industry is not going to do it. They lobby to have standards not change. Oh, you know, it happened here in Austin. They, they have skyscrapers up right now that they lobbied to only have one fire accident because it costs too much money to put two sets of stairs in. Yeah, and they have a very powerful lobby. I mean, the builders lobby, they spent probably hundreds of millions of dollars fighting against changes. And so, you, you know, I've asked builders, I said, why don't you just build it better? And they, they a lot of the builders I've known are, are businessmen that you count every nickel. Mm -hmm. And you know that if instead of putting the granite countertop in, I put in a safer garage door, people aren't going to buy my house. They're going to buy the next guy's house. What I'd like to see us get to a point is a builder can actually be applauded for building a house that's safe. They can use that as their marketing angle and say, I built a resilient home that can withstand a category four hurricane or an EF2 tornado, or they're able to boast about their safety and have it be a draw to people instead of people going, no, I don't want to pay that. You know, a concrete house, I don't want to pay an extra $25,000, $50,000. Well, if you factor that into a mortgage and can walk away knowing your electric bills are lower, your air, you know, all your utilities are lower, 
and you actually live in a safe house, that's priceless to me. So we have to get people to say, enough. I'm not going to let you keep telling me that I'm, I can't handle better, that I don't deserve better. We have to demand better. Do you think, uh, what's your thoughts on hemp as a building product? I don't know enough about it to have okay. an opinion. I mean, it was the first, you know, the first product that Henry Ford built a car with. Uh, it is stronger than concrete and lighter than concrete. It's, it's, it's a fascinating, but it's also, it's tied up with cannabis because it looks like it. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, you've, you've just, you know, at some point, right, you just got people going, I can't tell the difference. So illegal. <laughs> You're like, it doesn't get you high. You're like, hey, you, can have, you, you can have hemp products in the U.S., but you can't grow hemp in the U.S. You're going to have hemp great cannabis. I've got a great cannabis story for you. In Moore, Oklahoma. Okay. They, um, in, in Oklahoma, uh, they put marijuana on the ballot to legalize it. Yep. But nobody thought it would win. And it did. So they made it legal to sell pot. So in Moore, Oklahoma, on almost every block, there's a dispensary with a big sign up in Oklahoma selling pot. And that we saw it on every block there. And, and I said, how did that happen? How did, this, how did this grow like that? And they go, we didn't think it would win. So nobody was prepared oh. to get passed on the ballot. They probably figured nobody's going to vote for that here. This is Oklahoma. We're good old boys and it's not going to happen. And there was a lot of younger people, progressive people, maybe seniors. I don't know who the, what the demographic was that voted and passed it, but they didn't regulate it properly. And yeah, it's, it's a crazy mark. My brother works for Weed Maps and he actually uh, does, um, they fly him out to Oklahoma to educate those people on stuff. He goes and speaks to him on the tech side of things. And he is, he's like, dude, you can go get a thousand milligram browning if you want to. He goes, there's no regulation here. People are just, you know, and, and my friend who works at CNBC, she was one of the first people to really talk about not just the legalization of, uh, of marijuana in California, but what the marijuana business looked like. And it was, you know, it's very fascinating to, to watch this grow over the years and how it was laughed at at first. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, wait, this can actually make some real money. Oh, this is very interesting, you know. Uh, I wonder if it'll, you know, with everything that's going on, if it'll be, because it was considered essential, right? During COVID, I wonder if uh, the House and the Senate will both pass that it's up to the states and federally it'll be legal. I don't know, but it's also an open carry uh, for weapons. You can carry a gun on your, on your uh, hip. And I, I don't think you're allowed to do both. I think they say you can, it's one or the other. You can't be stoned and carry your firearm. That's so, a good thing. Uh, I'm okay with but that. Just to, to see all those, all those signs. Yeah, we were shooting there, shooting. We were video, you know, we had a camera out and a guy walked up with a gun on his, in his holster and started talking to us. Like, what do you, he was actually bothering us, but nobody was going to tell him that because he yeah. had a gun that, you know, you didn't take it out. But, you know, it's, in some places it's like the Wild West, you know, and, and now they can get marijuana. So it's, I'll tell you, I would, I would take a stone guy with a pistol over a drunk whiskey guy with a pistol pistol maybe it's because of all the bar fights i've seen growing up in montana <laughs> but yeah you know potato potato i, I wonder on a hard on the hard left turn here and and you know your 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 insight on this uh during the presidential debates it came up uh, as a joke i think as at first and then it really got some steam that uh joe rogan 
could moderate one of the debates. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, all of the media are free. He's not qualified and da, da 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 and all these things. But then you just look at raw numbers. So this, this is the disconnect, right? They're saying, everyone go out and vote. We need to get the message out, go out and vote. I don't know anyone on planet Earth that gets better numbers than Joe Rogan. And yet they didn't want him to do it. How does a person like that, who is a comic, who is crass, who's a UFC commentator, when he was a commentator, when they were calling it, you know, uh, cage fighting for humans, you know, uh, and then also it now has this podcast where it's comics, it's fighters, it's intellects, it's scientists, it's everything across the board. How much does he put the news in a tailspin that he can do whatever he wants? He can curse and smoke weed with Elon Musk and his numbers go up, up and up. And George Stephanopoulos puts on his professional voice and his big boy pants and he's stuck at a million people. Well, the answer to that is pretty simple because which politician is going to have the guts to go on with Joe Rogan? Because he'll ask him anything. That's true. You know, he, he, there's no boundaries. So you have to be prepared to step into that arena. And can you handle it? So, you know, without getting into talking about politics and, and you know, having alienating people from wanting to see my film because I, I start throwing out opinions of debates and everything, I would just say that guys like that are going to become more of the mainstream and candidates that we see going forward are going to reach out to that audience because he is in touch with a lot of people. It's like when Howard Stern, I mean, look at the audience that that guy has yeah. on Sirius. And um, before he was president, Trump used to go on his show all the time. People always want to be part of that because it brings in a, a bunch of people that are from all different walks of life that are attracted to that show. So people like that do have a voice by who they have on. So Joe Rogan, you know, maybe going forward, maybe in 2024, the candidates that are running are going to want to be in front of that audience. I don't know. Did you ever see Hillary Clinton on Between Two Ferns when she oh, was a guest on there? Yes. And see, and you know, and it, what's funny is that no one, this is the weird thing. It's comedy. Zach's ripping on her. She's making snide comments back. It's obviously very scripted, but she did a good job. Zach, Gil, Zach Gilpinakis is, is an amazing entertainer. But no one got upset about that. But the idea that Rogan could talk to, to a presidential candidate freaked out the news media to where they were just writing bullshit things yeah. and i'm and i just how i just I, I guess i don't you know i scratch my head and go hold on is that one of your peers or is it not are you embarrassed that he's kicking your ass because he didn't go to your school of thought you know there, there seems to be this disconnect of of not just podcasters but a certain group of podcasters that ruffle the feathers of the media in such a way because their numbers just destroy them across the board. You know, is it jealousy on the, me on the news media side? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think that the traditional media is always going to try to hang on to what they have and not mm -hmm. give that audience away. It's already so fractured. But I think there are voices out there that, that speak to a lot of people. And candidates that want to try to break through eventually are going to have to have to go to that. Yeah. You know, the, the, the landscape's already changed in how they did it. You know, President Obama started it through by being social me a social media guy. True, and yeah. then look at Trump with Twitter and all the other social media that, that he uses, good or bad, that people gravitate towards that. So who knows, in the next election, Joe Rogan may be a power player in, uh, uh, 
getting them on. I think Twitter's gonna, you know, I think everyone, I am not a, I am not a certified investor in any way. This is not advice in any way. Twitter's gonna drop when, when Trump leaves office. Cause who, I mean, is his power of tweet is, is demolished by the fact that he's no longer a president, right? It's, 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 I just, I don't see him being as active on Twitter anymore. Maybe he will be, I don't know. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that, 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 uh, that dumpster fire that is Twitter, I don't know how, how, how often you're on Twitter, but I mean, I'll put something out silly. I'll just be like, hi folks. And I will get DMs like, hey, why don't you go burn in hell? And I was like, whoa, I just said hi. You know, or I'll post a picture of something. Oh, yeah. Like, like, I hate your hat. Thank you. That is a wonderful thing. <laughs> There's a lot of angry people out there and a platform yeah. like that. But where I think the, the, the people that run those platforms are putting themselves in tough situations by deciding what's true and not true and, 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 mm -hmm. and editing content. And where do you draw the line? I mean, it, to me, it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning with media. It's like now it's being controlled, what we're being fed. Have you watched The Social Dilemma, the documentary? Yeah, you know, that's The Social Dilemma, and it was done better, right? But it, it reminded me of The Tipping Point. It's a great yeah. book written in hindsight. <laughs> I, I was like, well, duh, I already know that. <laughs> like you're writing a book, like, you know, usually you read a story or you read about a business, you're going to find some insight. And The Tipping Point, I read it and I was like, Okay. Yeah. You wrote about a success story and you picked what you thought was the tipping point, which I, I've been in some businesses that have sold very well. I've, I've been a part of some, some very successful groups and things. I can tell you the tipping point's never the tipping point. You know, uh, it's, it's always something different. There's always a moment that you miss and you look back and you're like, Oh, our tipping point was when we went to this event and we met this investor and this happened. No, it wasn't. Your tipping point was when you left the 48.52 and you stuck with the 90.10. And what I mean by that is, is that at least in business, I don't know how this works in movies uh, or in news, but in business, successful people look at the 90.10 very carefully. And what I mean by that, the obvious home run, black or white. Hey, should we turn left or right? 90.10. Well, 90% says we should turn left. Let's go. And it's that easy. But the 4852, that 4% swing, what shade would, should we use? What, what, what font should we use for our website? In the brand style book, when we're edging blues, should we edge to the left or the right? How should that flow? How should the eye construct work, right? You've got all of those things. Well, that's a 4% margin. And you're making it a big, big piece. You're spending so much time on the 4% that you're ignoring the 90 because you think it's such an obvious turn mm. and really sometimes that obvious turn is uh is is actually not that obvious right it, it's fraught with disaster much like you know with what you're doing it's like i got insurance do you <laughs> yeah. yeah how many people have actually read their insurance policy and sat down and said on page seven it just in, undid the first six pages by saying, yeah, I used to cover stories when I was working in Detroit, when there, there was a ri there were some rivers there that would flood every year. I think it may have been Lake Michigan that was flooding. And um, people, their houses would, would flood and they didn't have flood insurance, but they had fire insurance. So they would set their house on fire, hoping that they would have coverage for that because they knew they didn't have coverage for flooding. 
And, and you have to be at a pretty desperate point in, in your situation where you're willing to try anything to save what you have. And, and that just comes down to knowing how protected you are with the things that you have. Actually read your insurance policy, take an hour, go through it, ask your broker questions about, okay, so like you with your skylight, I think that'd be a really good question to ask yeah. your broker. If my skylight, if I had a hailstorm and the skylight broke and then it turned to rain and my house flooded because of that, water came in, am I covered? I bet you could find on page 23 of that policy that if there's a unnatural break in the roof where a skylight was put in and water should intrude the home, you don't have coverage. Wow, I'd love to know that beforehand. Yeah. Maybe I'd, you know, I would find a way to get coverage for that. You know, you, you, there's, there's always workarounds. It's interesting. One of the gentlemen in our film talked about how a lot of, uh, a large percentage of people in this country don't have a choice where to live. They're either in legacy homes, their family's there, their job is there. So they have to live where they live. And so what do they do? Well, then maybe they need to make sure the insurance is good where they live. Maybe they make, need to make sure, have they put certain things in their roof that makes their roof stronger? Have they, um, if you live in a fire zone, there's fireproof paint you can put on your house that might help slow down a fire if one happens, or the vents in your attic. So I believe there's something most people can do to make their situation safer. Now, mm -hmm. if a bullseye hits you and you get wiped out, sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. And that's where you have insurance. And you hope that you had enough time to get out and take items with you that you can't replace. But it's just having that thought process. And I think we, most people, I have neighbors here that don't have generators. I have friends, you know, they're not all coming over if the storm hits. We can't take in that, especially like, with COVID. COVID. I was like, sorry, guys, listen. Yeah, I'll bring you out some ice. Yeah. Uh, with our generator, we can do laundry in a hurricane. So we're going to be, we're going to be fine. But the point is, most people don't think it's going to happen to them. Do you see the movie, The World According to Garp? Oh, Maybe you're it. too young. No, no. Love it. When the, when the plane crashes into the house, we actually use that clip in the movie. And Garp goes, we'll take it. And he goes, what? Do you realize the odds of a plane ever hitting this house again? Well, we went to Moore, Oklahoma, where since 1999, they've had eight tornadoes hit the town. Eight tornadoes. So yeah. it can happen again. It can happen again and again. Do you think, you know, in, in your preparation, this just popped in my head, you have a, a very succinct, rational, borderline scientific approach to, to, uh, to addressing this. Of like, hey man, read, read your policy, understand, get prepared, just have a list, it's just the, the basics. You go up every morning, if you go work out, you've got that on your schedule, just be prepared for your home. But then you have this nuance. And it goes back to the Discovery Network and Nat Geo, and you've got these shows called Preppers. You know, guys <laughs> like, I spend an hour with bow and arrow, I make my own gasoline, I make my own charcoal. You know, and you're like, geez, fella, what don't you make? And he's like, I, I, I bought part of a silo underneath the ground, and I'm ready for the earth to end. I'm going to live here forever. How do you not get caught up in, I'm a crazy prepper? versus I'm prepared. I think or it's, or, I think it's or, easy or, to draw the- just not care and just be like, just jump all in. Well, I think you have to care. I think if you look at your, what's your biggest investment? Probably your house. Yeah. 
right? So why aren't you taking steps to make sure that it's as safe as possible? And we all just blindly run into things and we're not prepared. So those guys are the extreme. They're overprepared. Maybe you want to have them as a friend that they invite you out. So when, when Armageddon is happening, say, hey, you know, Jason, come on out, bring the family. Uh, George is like, I'm booked. Okay, I've got the generator. I'm good. Yeah, and we'll just put the shades down so nobody sees the lights on. Um, you know, the power was out here two years two years ago. Some of the places in our neighborhood had were without power for two weeks. And you know, but a generator is not cheap. So no, I could see how people might not have that. But again, you take a generator and you get a loan on one and you factor it into a a long-term commitment and you hope you never have to use it. Here's the problem. You prepare for a hurricane. Let's say the guy that is all prepared, you have your windows boarded up and everything, you did everything you could and the storm veers at the last minute and misses you. What do you do? Human nature, you go, phew, we dodge that bullet and you go back to life living as it is. What you need to do is drive 50 miles over where they got wiped out and see what would have happened to you. And, and look at the place where now they're living in tents and they've lost everything and they're lining up for food every day. And you go, yeah, no, I did get lucky. I'm gonna be ready next time. So it's really two different mindsets. And most people just go, phew. I think that's what Tampa does as a whole. There's, there's groups and there's uh, different, uh, we interviewed some folks here that are on these uh, different uh, committees and organizations that are about trying to get more resilience and make things safe. And I, I love those people for what they're doing, but they have to get a lot, of more, lot more people to buy in because most people aren't taking it seriously. Have you looked at Waffle Houses when it comes to natural disasters? Have you seen that story? I have not. I, I'm going to tell you something. Yes, these are my favorite moments in life. So, folks, Google this. George, when we get done with the call, Google this. is amazing. So uh, the National Preparedness, the FEMA, and the other groups, when they want to go in and see how bad a hurricane is, the first place they stop is the local Waffle House. And they determine how bad the area is hit by how the Waffle House is operating. Is it fully operational? Does it just have gas? Does it have gas and electricity? Does it only have, does it have none of the above? And they're, they're microwaving some of the other stuff? Like what does it have? And that is the mark for them, for how bad the area is hit by the impact on the Waffle House, which makes me wonder, how are these Waffle Houses being built? Who's the builder behind them? And should they start building homes? <laughs> yeah, just, just have everybody living in a Waffle House. That's, uh, I mean, it's a, good, it's a good menu. Not that's the best yeah. diet. <laughs> We'd always have waffles. I, I suppose there's an upside to that. I mean, you um, in the news, you've stopped at some diners before, you know? I mean, there's been some early morning and late night before Starbucks when nothing was open but that little small corner diner that had the 25 cent cup of coffee and the, the decent toast. I mean, that was the mark. Have you ever heard Jay? Have you ever heard Jay Leno's monologue joke about airplanes and how you know they give you all these uh, warnings when you're land, and you're sitting there about safety and everything, and how the plane could break apart and your seat cushion could be used as a flotation device. And he goes, "But I can't open the bag of peanuts. I can't get them open. Why don't they just make the plane out of the same material that they made the peanut bag out of? Because then nothing would fall apart." Yeah, it's, it's like true. a Dennis Miller's joke. He's just similar. He's like, "Hey, I, uh, you know what?" I'll just sit in the black box. I'll take notes. Like instead of the recorder, 
I'll just take notes in the black box and if it crashes, I can tell you guys what happened. It sounds fantastic to me. I love Dennis Miller. We went and saw him when he appeared here um, and he's hilarious. His he, stuff is brilliant. His level of intelligence to comedy is what makes him so unique because you're not, I mean, it's not like, and he doesn't do it to be an asshole, which is, you know, he's not like being esoteric to, to just to, to talk down to you. He's literally just talking. And that's just his verbiage. And that's his unique vocabulary. He's such a unique talent. I mean, he really is such a unique talent. I mean, politically, be damned. I don't care. Monday Night Football, you could hate him or love him on it. I thought he was great on it because he added a light to something. I mean, he was giving, you know, Cold War references. <laughs> the offensive yeah. and defensive lines. And I'm getting it and I'm loving it because I feel I'm like, wow, this is hilarious. You know, uh, he is a, he is that unique bridge, right? That that very special talent of, of pulling those things out that, that I don't think other people would see. Really. Yeah, he's great. I, he's fun to go see. Absolutely. When you were at your, so you grew up in Southern California. Uh-huh. Uh, LA, Newport Beach, Orange County. What was your general? Pacific Palisades. I'm sorry? Santa Monica. Oh, very nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I lived in, uh, I lived off Fairfax and Genesee back in the day. Uh, I mean, this is back when the original farmer's market was there with the green little pushy carts that you could. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's still uh, a fun place to go. Well, not now, but with, with COVID, but there's still good places there. There's still good places. That old school farmer's market back in the day that was there was, was wonderful. And Santa Monica obviously had some, you know, has some beautiful and nice spots. When you look at, you know, um, the California from when you were a kid to, to, to the California now, and you're living in Tampa now, and you're seeing all of this stuff, I, I wonder, um, is there a nostalgic part that wants to take you back to California, but at the same time you see what's going on there now. So you hit the pause button pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's why so many people are leaving there. You know, it, it, I don't want to, it, we, I don't want to circle it back to politics, but you can I don't talk, like you talk about of, whatever you want. It's all good. Don't worry. I, about I just that. don't like a lot of the things that go on there in terms of, um, first of all, I don't like earthquakes. I've been in too many of them. And I, I choose, to me, that's a disaster. We talked about it in the film, but you, the, I don't like the fact there's no warning at all. You're just lying there in bed and an earthquake hits. So you're driving on a double decker highway and you get pancakes because an earthquake hit. So I don't like that. Mm -hmm. The cost of living is way too high. And the Santa Ana winds and fire danger is just insane what folks out there deal with. So part of me loves LA because I grew up there and I think that, you know, I have a lot of friends there and I just think there's things about it that are amazing, but the, the downsides of it, you know, we drove around the, the Skid Row area where all the tent cities were downtown. And I feel safer walking or before COVID walking down the streets of Manhattan late at night than walking through downtown LA. Oh, because yeah. it's just, it's a scary place to be <clears throat> late at night. You know, if you're walking, from uh, that LA Live area and you walk a few blocks either way. Um, and then you see all the people living in tents and the city allows that to happen. There have to be programs that you can have so people could have live with a little more dignity than taking over the street like that. And so it's not the city that I grew up in. 
and I couldn't afford to live there anyway. You know, I, I, we live well in Tampa. We would be living in a one bedroom house in Palmdale if we moved out there and <laughs> try to see to LA. Oh, my, my office is there. So I commute once a month for a week. And uh, the, the, the owner of the company is like, hey, bring your wife and kid out. I was like, oh, that'd be great. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. So he puts us up at the Monarch. And uh, one morning we go to Laguna. We're just walking around Laguna. My wife's like, you know what? Why did you leave this place? This is gorgeous. And I was like, eh, eh. Wait till we go up to LA. Like, I'll show you LA one day and I'll show you some other parts in Newport and Costa Mesa and the tents and Venice. And it's just, it's not safe anymore. I mean, the, the LA that I knew in 1994 is different than the LA today. It just is. And so is the Orange County and so is Newport Beach and so is Laguna for that matter. But we're walking around and she goes, hey, there's a realty office right there. Let's just go look. And my wife is from a holler in Kentucky. She is as frugal as frugal gets. She's like, hey, this per ounce is 10 cents cheaper when you buy 30 pounds of it than this. <laughs> Guess yeah. what? We're eating a lot of fucking hamburger. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. I'll get some recipes. <laughs> So we're walking around, she goes, okay, this is kind of like our house. It's a three bedroom, it's a two and a half bath, it's got a pool, we have a three car garage, it's got a two car garage, but it's got street parking, there's no pool. Oh, it's $2.1 million. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. She goes, honey, our house is not $2.1 million. I go, no, our house is like $450,000, it's Austin, Texas. <laughs> but you can't live near downtown often for that. You got to be far away from town. Well, we're, we're what? We're six miles away. We're pretty close. I mean, we're in a subdivision called Circle C. And uh, prices have gone up, uh, uh, especially since Elon's moved here and Tesla and, and Apple and some other people have, have made some big investments. But it was pretty funny because she's just like, I'm not moving here to be poor. I grew up. Exactly. I'm not yeah. doing it. And the benefits do not, outwe the benefits do not outweigh the costs in any way shape or form you um, end up having to live in the valley or you live far from the the center of what you would call the center of action if yep. you wanted to be right like near uh, downtown or near santa monica it's not yep. affordable and so I, I couldn't do that either not at, not at this stage in my life no way we drove we drove out to a buddy of mine's house we went to college together we uh, we lived across the hall in college we go out to his house he's in rancho cucamonga uh -huh. i used to work out there yeah He's got a $700,000 house. Uh, and it's got different floors in every room. You can tell where the build add-on was put on and the garage doesn't work. And she's like, this is a $700,000 house? I was like, well, it's you know 3,000 square feet in Rancho Cucamonga near downtown with a view of the mountains. Yeah, it is. She's just like, what's going on in this world? I go, welcome to California. It's, it's backwards land. You know, Ask she him what the smog is like every day outside his front door. Oh, out yeah. there. Thank, I mean, he will celebrate. He will say, thank God for COVID. The air is cleaner. There are certain things, there are th certain benefits that have benefited him, obviously. He's, he's also, and then I, ha I haven't benefited him. He's also a school teacher uh, now. And um, you know, he, he, he gave up his career to become a school teacher and then COVID hits. And he's just like, I mean, come on, man. <laughs> yeah.
you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough break, but you're absolutely right. I mean, from air quality, just to, to house quality, to every quality in between. Uh, and even with all that weed money, they figure out a way to not be profitable and, uh, and not do something correctly. I, I shake my head because there's a big part of me that's always wanted to go back. I loved it, man. I, I had a group of friends there. I was in Newport Beach. I was a 55 and 17th Street, right there in Costa Mesa and Newport, right at the Goat Hill, if you will. And, Newport's amazing. You know, I played basketball with former professional athletes every day at the gym. I was in the best shape of my life. Uh, my name was on a couple of menus at different bars. Uh, you know, I had these investor relations. I, I had all these fun relationships. But I also knew that it was going to take me overextending myself or getting very lucky to put myself in a house and then get married and then have a kid to live there. And I couldn't do it. You know, I, 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 I just, I, I couldn't make that reach. Um, it's interesting though, you know, with the flock of people coming out, the billions of dollars they're losing quarterly, you know, and Elon, the biggest, the next biggest person to leave. Did you see the CNBC thing on how much money he's going to save in taxes? A quarter? I, I, I did not see that specific story, but I can, I can imagine. And you see all those people moving. That's why the uh, real estate is skyrocketing in Austin right now. Yeah. Because all the Californians are moving there. Billions. He's going to save almost a billion dollars a quarter in taxes. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That blows my, and to your point, earthquakes, fires, land, the Malibu, landslides, one road in, one road out. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I could not, I, I, I like visiting. Uh, my son lives out there, but I could not live out there again. Yeah, my brother lives out there. I fly out there. I get the hotel. It's in the same parking lot as our offices. So my commute is a block walk. And there's a cafe underneath. My wife's like, they closed all the restaurants. What do you do? I'm like, I get Grubhub. I order from the hotel once. Once a month, I order from the hotel. Or once, once a stay, right? Once I, I get food from the hotel, I go down to pick it up from the room, get all the stuff done. That's all I do. I don't leave. I don't leave my little one block radius. Because there's no reason to. It's all shut down. You know? You're missing the uh, experience that everybody else gets on a daily basis. I know. <laughs> Sitting in traffic for two hours. <laughs> crazy it is what reminiscing let's go down memory road real quick um what are some of your favorite memories about socal you know growing uh, up big tommy's are, tommy's oh, burgers i oh, sorry hard left turn my buddy aaron rains his dad is one of and this just gonna go back to tommy burgers trust me his dad is one of three people it has his picture in the forum. So you have Magic Johnson, picture in the forum. Wayne Gretzky, picture in the forum. Rowdy Roddy Reigns, the king of roller derby, picture in the forum. My buddy Aaron Reigns, his dad was Rowdy Roddy Reigns, the king of roller derby in the 70s and 80s. His grandmother, his grandmother created the recipe for Tommy's chili, for the ah, Tommy's burger. That's amazing. What a, what a place that was to go at one, two o'clock in the morning. I mean, you're not stopping there. Only sat, and, and I mean this in the nicest way. And this is Jason talking, not George. Don't get upset with George for this. 
only savages go there for lunch, all right? Only pure savages are just like, uh, you know what? I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna get a Tommy's, I'm gonna get a double Tommy's burger with cheese for lunch. No, you're not, you're, 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 you are a savage. However, at 1 a.m., there's nothing better to hit your lips than a double chili cheeseburger from Tommy's. Come on, that, that's just a mess. That wax paper is barely holding anything in. Oh, yeah. You remember Fat Burger? Oh, yeah. Fat Burger was delicious. We used to go crawling in there in the middle of the night. And one day I was hungry. I went in there at lunch and it was so disgusting. I could not eat in there <laughs> because I, was, I could see and I was going, I'm not eating this stuff. And I walked oh. out. Did you at least get an egg on it? You're like, that fried egg. Now, fat burger, I left. Like fat burger I left and went over to Falafel King. Oh, there you go. All right, I'm, I'm down with that. No, I mean, Fat Burger was the one who was just like, put an egg on it. You're like, put an egg on it? Like, put an egg on your burger. I was like, no, I'll try it. It's one in the morning. I'll try anything right now. I'm starving. Yeah, let's take something and jack up the cholesterol and the calories and see if we can really put you over the edge. Now, did you ever hit up Roscoe's? Chicken and waffles? Been to Roscoe's. Been to uh, I, La Salsa started when I was out Ooh, there, and that was yeah. great. A great place to eat. Um, there's a lot of places. I mean, it just, it, it was really a fun place to grow up. I went to UCLA, so, you know, oh, we nice. were in Westwood all the time. And it, it was a great place to be, but um, I don't miss it as much now. I mean, there are places that when you can live better and, and have a simpler life, without having that kind of uh, um, all the baggage that comes with being out there mm -hmm. now. It's fun to re reminisce, but I don't think I could ever do it again. Well, let's do this. I love to give, especially during this time when money's tight, life's tough. I love to give small businesses a shout out. That new downtown Tampa area um, that's, you know, that, that's got the breweries and the new restaurants, uh, it's got the, uh, Tampa's invested in a lot of, um, there's the pier right down there that's, that's been redone. You know what I'm talking about that area? The St. Pete has a new pier. That's what I'm talking about. Um, yep. And that's fantastic. And then there's a lot of different places that are popping up in downtown Tampa that um, they're, they're, the rooftop bars are still in, mm -hmm. they're building them right now that, that that isn't completed. But there's a lot of places along the Riverwalk now where you can go and, um, I just think it's a great city and, and all, but it all circles back. Hate to you know, be the guy that crashes the party. Downtown Tampa would be under 20 feet of water in a major hurricane, 20 <laughs> feet of water. But so for you, the people that aren't under 20 feet of water, tell me, tell the listeners real quick, where are a couple places to go? Where are some of your favorite places to go? Gosh, there's a, there's, I like Hyde Park. There's a place there called Bar Taco okay. that, uh, that we go to a lot and eat there. And then there's a place that's on the river downtown. It's a, a restaurant. We haven't been there much during COVID called Ulele, where you can sit at an outdoor bar and have a cocktail and they have great hors d'oeuvres and dinner. Um, so there's, and there's a lot of little places that are starting to pop up there. There's, um, uh, God, I'm trying to remember the name of the pizza place that I love down there. Um, there's just a lot of little gems that are starting to pop up. You're not going to find restaurants if you're a new yorker or a, a, a californian you're not going to find the kind of variety there that you have there in a place like this so you have to hunt for it a little more sure but i would still choose the quality of life over you know maybe i'm not eating as well there's no gracias madre to go eat at like there is the yeah but tell me where where tell me in la where you're going to get a better 
Cuban sandwich than you will in Tampa. That's true, but you could get great Mexican food in LA and it's, <laughs> there's not very good Mexican food here in Tampa. And barbecue from Texas. Man, I became a barbecue snob. I did a travel show where we went around the state trying barbecue and the barbecue here is just not Texas barbecue. It's not. If you are ever traveling again, and I sincerely mean this, and you're in San Diego, if you're ever in San Diego as a barbecue snob, if you're ever in San Diego, let me know. I've got a hookup for you. My boy at Cali Barbecue, let me. So first of all, he just stole some barbecue masters from Austin and just put them in San Diego. And he's been building this business for eight years. And his most profitable year, his most profitable year has been during COVID. Really? Yeah. I miss Salt Lake in Austin. See, I mean, that's, I'm okay I'm with not Salt Lake. Salt Lake fan. I'm not a Salt Lake fan, but that's what, but you know what? That's the great thing about food is that there's also Franklin, there's Blacks, there's Coopers. Look, the cool thing about, you know, it's, it's like you could name a, a, a Cuban restaurant that you love and my wife would be like, that's okay, but I like this one better. The cool thing is, is that variety, right? I mean, that, that St. Pete's area and, and the downtown uh, Tampa area, you've got like new breweries coming in there. You've got new beers coming in. There's so much growth of, of mm -hmm. new energy coming in, especially in that downtown area. It's amazing. I absolutely love it. I mean, I, I was... I'm, I went in not trying not to be a fan of Tampa. I walked in and I was like, not going to like it. I get a sunburn when the sun comes up. I'm Irish. I'm from Montana. I like dark, dark bars that are cold. And I like burgers <laughs> and pizza. These are, these are my simple, simple worlds that I live in. And my wife's like, I think you're going to like Tampa. And I go, there's no reason I would like Florida. And there's none. But I met the people. I saw the beer scene. And then we went to a couple of restaurants. There were one that was like called Two Moons or something. And it was this Indian English pub. You probably went to Ybor City if you like beer. Yes. That's a Ybor City. Yes, sir. Yeah. And let That's me. A great place. Amazing. You know, and I, I think it's to your point of, and, and you know, I, I, I put a bow on, on this in this. Hey, man. If you're not exploring your city, if you don't know the dives and the dirty, dark parts, you're not doing your job. You don't live there yet. Go explore. Go find the places. Go see the unique new, I mean, go check places out and, and, and go explore. And then there's no better time to support and explore than right now, right? Who does to-go? Who does delivery? I mean, and outside of that, then also... Are you just getting Pizza Hut? No offense to Pizza Hut, and I know they employ a lot of people, and thank you for doing that, but is that what you're getting? Really? I mean, there's, try something new. Get disappointed. The greatest, um, the favorite part about road trips with my daughter is disappointment. And that's a weird thing to say, but we will drive into a town and be like, let's get lunch here. She's like, okay. We ordered, I remember one time we stopped at this place. Get a short stack for my kid. They're like, yep. Like, okay, short stack of pancakes, the short stack. 10 minutes later, hey, I'm sorry, I hate to be rude. We're at a truck stop. I'm like, I hate to be rude. Um, we filled up our car with gas, ordered some short stack. Still haven't gotten it. She goes, yeah, five, 10 more minutes. It's three pancakes. Well, they were all an inch thick. 
they were all perfectly cooked. I don't know how they figured out the temperature to inch thick ratio to cook this thing where it was golden brown on both sides. Well, my daughter took a bite and she goes, dad, it's so sweet. It's so good. It's so amazing. I don't need syrup. This is how good this pancake is. Now, fast forward, we're driving up to Montana. I want to make it fun. I go the most out of the way part. I drive over to Roswell, New Mexico, so we can have alien pancakes. Just to make the road trip fun for her. Yeah. We stop at Roswell. She takes a bite. She's like, this is awful. She goes, but dad, that's the fun part. Disappointment. Because that makes the other pancake taste that much better. And I challenge people on that. You know, I challenge people on a couple of things. Go and get disappointed. It's okay. That doesn't mean you go to Yelp and write a shitty review. That means you go and get disappointed. <laughs> right? You go and get disappointed. And you understand what you like and what you don't like, but you also, you give someone an opportunity to impress you. And maybe they win, maybe they lose. But who cares? You gave them a chance. Man, give people a chance to impress you or more importantly, disappoint you. But give them a chance. And I don't think we do that enough. You know, and, and now, no, and it's a great feeling when you find those hidden gems, when you oh. find something that, you know, we found that when we were in Panama City making the film, we found these little restaurants. One of them we ended up eating at three or four times because it was so good. And you know, they're hurting. And so you're trying to support, you know, you're, you're supporting them, but you find some great stuff and, and you meet a lot of really nice people along the way. And, and, and that, that helps erase the ones that aren't so nice, the ones that disappoint you. But even the ones that disappoint, they try hard, right? I mean, they're, they're at least, it seems like they're putting forth effort and I'm not mad at them. You know, I just, it's- uh, You're more tolerant than me. I am, I'm a little more tolerant, but I'm also, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm always grabbing a Younger. cocktail and just being like, hey, listen, what's, you, you guys also messed up my cocktail? Well, I gotta go. <laughs> this is where I draw the line. You water right. down my beer, I'm out of here. I gotta, I gotta go. I'm a beer guy, I'm a very simple person, but it's, it, it is what it is, you know? Um, I wonder in, in your news days and all the stuff that you, that you did, is, was there ever a time uh, when you were scared? You were feeling a little nervous? Things were a little itchy around you? You know, when you start out, um, when you sent out on storm coverage, yeah, yeah, like one time I was in Seattle and they had me go up on the roof to do a live shot and the winds were like 90 miles an hour. Okay, and it took us off. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're not the main weather guy, you're the guy that gets sent outside. True. And so when you're out in the ice storm for 10 hours telling people don't go outside because you could die. Um, in Detroit, I worked for a news director that didn't want us to wear hats outside because it didn't look good on television. So I would be outside telling you it's deathly freezing out here. You know, we would take hot dogs and freeze them and show how people's fingers could break off so easily once they got cold or you throw water up into the air and you see it turn to snow. But sure. we couldn't wear a hat. And, uh, you know, those are scary moments. I would, when, when I had my first job, I was sent out, we were having lunch. So it was like a dirty Harry scene. My videographer and I get out of the car eating hot dogs and there's a dead body in the road. And my news director calls me and says, get over to the house. The wife doesn't know he's dead yet. Tell her about it. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. And he goes, get over there now. And I said, look, I'm the weather guy who's out covering a story. Her husband's dead. She's not going to hear it from me. And I refuse to do it. That's and and the, the scary part there is one, there's, there's somebody who lost their life, but two, you're new in the business and you think you're going to get fired for being defiant. But 
I wanted no part of that. Wow. Uh, I can't imagine. I've seen one. Couldn't imagine seeing another one, a dead body. It's just, it's pretty horrible. For people that haven't seen it, and I'm not going to get into the darkness, the deluge, but let me just tell you folks exactly what you said. It's horrible. It's horrific. It's horrible. It's something you never want to see. Uh, you know, Stephen King did a beautiful job with Stand By Me of, of setting up the drama and the, uh, the accurate darkness and disappointment in the celebration of going to see a dead body and then realizing, oh shit, it's a dead body. I shouldn't have celebrated this. And I bring that up only because of your courage and what you did and saying, no, I'm not celebrating this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the gotcha guy. I'm not, I'm not rolling up with the camera saying, hey, Tammy, uh, how's your day today? Well, you know, the storm happened and other than that, I'm okay. Well, your husband's dead and I've got a picture right here. That's yeah. him, right? That's Bob? Hmm. Anyways, um, I guess he's not eating that food that you made for him because he's dead over there. Our team's hungry because we've been covering the news all day. Can we eat some food and talk to you some more? I mean, I don't know where it goes. <laughs> it doesn't. I want no part of stuff like that. I mean, you yeah. know, there's you obviously reporters want to break stories, but when there's tragedy and it's somebody else's life, that I wasn't cut out for that. No way. What is the um what's the uh the next or what's the bright green acreage for you when it comes to the next movie you want to do? You know, I have a super idea that I'm excited about, but I, I, I can't really talk about it. Sure, no, I understand. Because, you know, you, you, then you'll, somebody who has the means to make it quicker will, will end up doing it. But um, what I hope to do is that people see this film and they go, wait, this guy does a pretty good job. You know, they, they, they put together something really good. So it makes the process of doing the next one a little, there's less hurdles to jump through. You know, maybe it's easier to raise money. Maybe it's easier to get somebody on the phone to back your project because they saw your last project. But before that ever happens, I really want to see the film that we have, The Last House Standing, make a difference. Now, can I ask and, you and a, that, so that's important to me. Can I ask you a dumb, dumb question? Sure. Okay. I, I call it, uh, actually, my, I, I, I've stolen this. Uh, my dear friend, Jason Dick here in Austin, Texas, he calls it dumb question amnesty, right? So don't laugh mm -hmm. at me. Don't ridicule me too much. Okay. Are you taking your website and your movie and just emailing every reporter that's covered hurricane damage that's like, you know, whether it's the Palm Beach Gazette or Bankrate, whether it's, you know, Holden Lewis at Nerd Wallet or wherever it's at, people that have covered, you know, these aspects of it and being like, hey, have you seen my movie? Would you like to see it? Boom, boom, boom. And then see how that they A might write about it or B influence their writing to a point where it is, hey, this hurricane hit, these things happened. I know, I know you probably don't want to be referenced to something negative, but at the same time, have a, have a positive spin on the horrible thing that happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, first of all, it's not a dumb question. It's actually the core of what we want to try to do, but the timing has to be right. It's like sure. you, you, you don't invite people into the store until you're, you, the, the shelves are stocked or you're ready to do it. So I could tell you about this great film, but if I can't send you someplace to watch it, yeah. if I can't tell you it'll be on your local public television station Friday at nine o'clock, I, I, you don't want to miss that moment because if you do give me attention, but I have no place to send that attention, it's not going to help. So we're starting with doing podcasts now. 
Um, we're, we're trying to see where this public television station thing goes, how many stations start to pick it up. Right now, we can send people to the website. You know, anybody that listens to your program can go to the lastoutstanding.org and then forward slash. It's got to be a forward slash and then the word movie. So the lastoutstanding.org forward slash movie and you could rent the film and watch it today. Okay. Um, but can, I, not, can I introduce you to some people? I would love it. I would, okay. I mean, hey, I welcome any help I can have because okay. it's, a it's tough out there. And what we need is, a, is somebody to get it. I want, I'm, I'm hoping that somebody looks at it and goes, I want to take the ball and help you run with this thing. Because it's, it's an important film that I think can save a lot of lives and save people a lot of grief if they follow the formula. Could you, am I not, if, I'm not, if I'm reaching too far, please slap the hand. If not, but I, you know, it, we've talked a lot about hurricanes you know, and, and floods. And I think people sometimes regionalize that to just key areas. They're like, oh, well, that happens in California or oh, that happens in Florida or that happens in Houston. But there are natural disasters that happen all over the United States. I mean, obviously we're very blessed in the country we live in, but at the same time, there are natural disasters happening, tornadoes, to your point, in, in Oklahoma, uh, you know, debilitating snowstorms that, that crush areas in Montana and, and cave in roofs and, you know, there are still floods in Montana. There's no perfect place to live where you're, you're removed, if you will, from, from natural disaster. But how do you make sure that people don't pigeonhole this, that everyone sees it, that the person in Montana who thinks their home is safe sees this and has a better plan? The person in Washington or, or California sees it and goes, I have a better plan. And then maybe more importantly, the person in New York City and, uh, and Nashville, Tennessee sees it and says, I have a better plan. Well, we've covered all those bases in the film. I mean, we touch on the major disasters that can happen, fire, earthquakes, mm -hmm. tornadoes, hurricanes, leads to flooding. Um, so we cover most of that. We don't talk about the, the snowfall you're talking about in Montana. But the idea is, even up in New York, look at New Jersey with um, uh, Hurricane Sandy and yeah. the areas that were wiped out there on a, on a late season hurricane, um, the damage along the Carolinas. So anywhere along the eastern seaboard, you get around the Great Lakes, they have flooding and mm -hmm. they can have tornadoes. They can have strong winds and, and, and all kinds of weather damage. Flooding every year happens in a lot of those areas. And then Tornado Alley in the middle of the country. I would say Austin and, and San Antonio, I used to live in San Antonio, are actually pretty safe for most disasters because if a hurricane gets there, it's usually weakened. If you don't live anywhere near a river, you're usually not going to have the major flooding. And tornadoes are not very common wiping out houses in the Austin area. Sure. So for the most part, there are certain areas that are safer than others, but you can still have your house burned down. There's people that live along the Frio River and uh, south of you and, and, and the, the, the river rises and all of a sudden their house washes away. You know, if you're, um, disasters have a way of finding vulnerable things and destroying them. And the former FEMA director, Brock Long, said it great in our film. He goes, if you live where it rains, your house can flood. Wow. You think about that. Rains everywhere, except you live in Arizona, but they have flash flooding every year. In oh yeah, it's in a Arizona. horrible flash flooding in Arizona just because there is no rain. I mean, because it happens so irregularly that the ground doesn't absorb it the same way. I mean, we have, you know, we have the, uh, the flash 
uh, we have the we have the flood zone, uh, the flood crossings, right? Where it's like, hey, don't cross here. I mean, yeah, we got our family dog because I rescued him. But I drove across a bridge that had water running across it to a lady's farm that was flooded, and she had all of her small animals in her house: chickens, goats, bunnies. She had all sorts of crazy shit. I mean, and Katie just did, the whole house was full. Her barn had been knocked down from the flood. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, that this just because, you know, obviously the soil moves here, but then, it, you know, that topsoil is so loose because the limestone underneath is so hard, it can slide, it can just manipulate so easily, and it, her barn knocked down. So I've got, yeah. to, I'm driving across a bridge that's got water coming across it to go rescue some fucking basset hound that doesn't even listen to me. I'm like, hey, do you remember what happened? He's like, no, give me a goodie. <laughs> he doesn't care. But it was, you know, it's your point about the rain thing. And, you know, it brings it back to that, you know, the, the question I asked you about the, the, the trauma, the, the hurricane trauma or the, or the fire trauma or the earthquake trauma. Uh, is there, is there a, an Alcoholics Anonymous group that people meet to do and talk about this stuff? You know, I'm sure that it, that probably exists or it needs to, because some of the people that have some of the biggest problems are the ones that are the guy living next door to the guy that lost everything and his house was spared. And now he has the guilt of wondering yep. why it didn't happen to him. So people are victimized in different ways and there's no set formula to it. But human nature is we go, phew, it missed us. We're fine now. Or wow, we had a little damage, but we're going to be okay. You know, an inch of water can cost you $20,000 damage to your house. You know, it's like little things can just nail you. And it, I, it just sounds like when you talk to people, most people just laugh it off. Like, look, think of all the people that don't think they're going to catch the virus, the coronavirus. They go, ah, it's not going to happen to me. And how do you know? I, I think of so many things in life are luck. You're, you know, you're driving down the road and there's a drunk driver coming the other way and he, you're fine. And then he swerves into the next car and that person's dead. The randomness of it, the tragic randomness of so many things. So when it comes to things that you can somewhat control, why not do something about that? Because sure. there's so many things we can do nothing about. But if there's something you can do something about, why don't you do it? And that's kind of the point, I think, in the film is that there's things we can do. Why don't we? And you know, and, and outside of the, and, I'm a, and once again, if I'm wrong here, I'm oversimplifying, please. But one of the things that, uh, you know, when I was looking at your, ba- what, what, your background in the movie and, and this conversation, it brought back a memory. We had some neighbors, Ashley and Renee, nicest, nicest couple. And in our little neighborhood at the end of the street where Tamango and Tiambe hit, there's a group of dads. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, Renee was one of those dads and he's got some kids and I've got a kid, Trey's got kids, Ryan's got kids, Jay's no kids, but he owns a bar and all us dads get together on Thursday or Friday night about five o'clock, we crack open some beers and the dogs run and the kids play, but we're, we're a unit and I could be on vacation or I could be traveling for work and I'll get a text message. There's a box at your front door. Do you want me to grab it for you? Cause your wife's not home. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. Well, the way the houses are positioned, Ashley and Renee's house was the one house where the front door was angled away from all of us. 
It's just, you just can't see it unless you drive a different way into the neighborhood. You just don't see their front door. It's just angled in a weird way. And their washer broke. Well, they were gone. And to your point, one inch of water filled their whole house. And it was leaking out the front door. But all of us, I mean, I'm not going to go walk around a corner into someone's front door when they're not home, when I know they're gone. To, you know, just, that's their stuff, right? But, you know, we always keep a lookout if someone weird walks by, our eyes on it. It took them five months through insurance, staying at Airbnbs, and then getting their house fixed. All the damage that water did over three days one inch of water in that whole house. Yeah. It was, sur- I lived in De- it's surreal well, how damaging water is. Oh yeah. When I lived in Detroit, um, several years ago, we had a sump pump in our basement for people who don't know, that means there's water around the house and it keeps continually pumping it out mm-hmm. that broke. So the basement filled up with three feet of water. Well, here's a lesson I learned. Where do most people store things that they don't have room for in the main area of their house, mm. the basement. Yeah. So all the tapes that I had from early in broadcasting, all the valuables that we put in the basement because we didn't want it, you know, upstairs, it was all ruined by the flood. The company that cleaned that stuff, they don't clean it to the standard that a human being wants it back. You know, they probably just wipe it off a little bit and send it back to you. It took us months to recover from that. We had to replace all the drywall, all the carpet. You never get any of the items back. And it's, uh, it's a very frustrating situation. So having experienced that, it, it's not something you want to go through. Why would you put yourself in that position? Can you, because, you know, uh, just, just for people out there, and, and if you don't want to, just tell me no. What's that like when that loss happens? And what I mean by that is telling a story, oh, hey, kids, and then this happened. Like, oh, dad, can you show us? And you're like, yeah, hold on a second. And you're like, damn it. That was lost in the flood. Or that was lost when the basement flooded. That phew feeling. I, I, want, I want people to remove that out of their mind. And I, the only way I know how to do that is to have someone explain what loss means. You know, that, that it's not, it didn't happen. You didn't lose your house and then you move forward. Your basement didn't flood, and you're just like, well, I got it fixed, and we move forward. Stuff is gone forever. Parts of stories, you're a storyteller. Parts of your life of storytelling are gone. How, how can that be articulated to people to make them not go, whew, and make them be like, shit? It's a pretty crummy feeling. I mean, it's, it's a feeling of emptiness, a feeling of, of wow, and, and, and again, we didn't lose everything. We lost things that, that are hard to replace. We had insurance. So I, I don't wanna anyway compare my situation to somebody whose house is washed away by a storm and, and their life is uprooted for years because at least you could live on the other floors. You know, if your basement's flooded, you can close the door and still live in your living space. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. But what happens is we all watch movies like one of my favorite movies, even though that's a kind of a campy movie, is San Andreas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you see all the damage, everything that's wiped out. And then at the end, um, The Rock's wife or the, the, the other scientist says to him, what do we do now? And The Rock goes, we rebuild. <laughs> so it's not that simple. 
There's no way they're rebuilding that city. That'll take a hundred years to do that. The place was wiped out. Yeah. But the movie gives you that feeling of optimism. They don't show the next 10 years that people are living in tents and dying from diseases and their kids aren't getting an education and they have no income. The, the, the consequences of disaster are overwhelming to imagine. And the way Hollywood does it, you walk out and you go, oh, that Dwayne Johnson's awesome. That's a great, they, he saved his daughter. It doesn't work that way in real life. Yeah, I mean, he cut his leg, he's got dysentery from the water, but his daughter's alive and he did it with some really good poems. He's amazing. And I love him. I've seen that movie. That's one of those movies that I watch if it's on. Yeah. Because it's just, as a geek, I like that kind of, that, that kind of drama and I think he's really good to watch in movies. But the, the consequences of disaster are unimaginable. And so my experience personally with it is nothing compared to the people we interviewed in the movie that lost everything. So I don't, I don't really like to put me in that category. No, I, I, I don't, I don't, what... I don't want to put you in that category at all, but I, but I, but I do want people to understand even what little loss, how, how a little piece of loss affects you in, in a different way. And, you know, I'll, I'll give my own. Um, I remember two things I had when I graduated college that I really wanted to hold on to. I had this videotape that my mom had worked very hard with her, her husband at the time uh, to make for me of, of this video of, of me from, you know, there's, there's songs and there's pictures, you know, that this was like the, you know, early nineties, right. When mm -hmm. the song and picture video came up and you, know, you kind of put it on VHS and it worked. I had that. And I had this book that, uh, that my mom got for me. And when I graduated college, she reached out to all the influential people in my life. She asked them to write their favorite story about me. Handwrite it or type it. And she bound it and gave it to me. I was living in Costa Mesa. I moved down from Portland, Oregon. I had a 67 convertible Cadillac called the UPS because it was a brown on brown. It always delivered. It always drove you from A to B. Not cheaply. You got about four gallons to the mile, but it always got you there. It was big, it was bold, it was aggressive. And uh, there, was, um, there were some things wrong with the car. And I had just moved back to Newport from Portland. I didn't really have a place to live. I was kind of couch surfing until I found a job and a place to live. And oddly, a rainstorm happened. And the trunk of that Cadillac flooded. And I lost those things. Now, I didn't lose a house. I didn't lose, but I lost some memory things. I lost some stories. My grandfather writing about, you know, who passed away. My grandfather writing about how one of his favorite memories of me was when he let me drive for the first time. And he had pissed me off earlier in the day. And I carry a grudge. And there's me at six. And I'm in the front, you know, this is the old bucket seat, you know, 78 Ford. Just put it and drive. Just listen, put it and drive. Game forward. Look straight ahead. Don't do anything. It's just going to move. And then he climbs out and he's got hay and he's got the pitchfork and he's pitching out hay to the cows and the cows are following. They're following. And I'm still pissed about earlier in the day. And as he wrote, he goes, and then Jason floored it. 
and I flew off the back of that truck and I landed in cow shit. And there went my truck straight down a field going 30 miles an hour. And I hear him screaming because he did not know what he had done. He did not realize the monster he had unleashed when he hit the gas pedal that that thing was going to move forward. But it's a muddy field. So it instantly slowed down a little bit. But now I'm a scared kid. And now I've got my grandfather running at me with a pitchfork covered in cow shit and mud saying, you son of a bitch, stop. And so every time he'd get close, I'd floor it. He'd spray mud and shit on him and I'd go another hundred yards down. Nice. Right? But this was a handwritten story from my yeah. grandfather. It's gone forever. Now, once again, that doesn't replace a, 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 um, a lost home in any stretch. And, and, you know, and, and my troubles compared to the troubles of, of, of planet Earth are, are inconsequential and minimalist at best, right? They're, they're a blip on the radar of any other normal person. But it changes the way I tell stories now. Because I can't pull that out and read it. And that's why I asked that question, because I... I Sometimes the oh shit, everything's torn down, San Andreas moment also gives us the Hollywood moment, which is we can rebuild, which is this Americana, this idea, right? We can rebuild, we're better, we can do it, boom, boom, boom. But we also forget about the easy brokenness of a simple story being gone forever. Absolutely. You can't, and you can't get those things back. I mean, there are tapes that I made from the 80s when I, early in my broadcasting career that I'll never be able to get my hands on because they were damaged, they were ruined in, that, in, in our little bit of flooding. So everybody's loss is, is personal to them. And it, at whatever level it is, you know, you with the trunk of a car, you might, it's a different level of preparation. You know, if you did it today, you probably would have had it digitized. So there yeah. would have been a way to have a backup of, of, of it, but it still sucks. And it's not, it's not a fun memory to think of, of things that you've lost. And if we carry that forward to look at that people that have lost even more, it just drives home the importance of, of thinking about it, at least thinking that it could happen to you and being aware of what can I do to, to minimize those kind of problems because they're not fun experiences to have. You may grow from eating a crappy pancake in New Mexico but you don't need the experience of having your grandfather's journal flooded. Nobody needs that experience. Yeah. That sucks. And if you can avoid it, why not? Yep. Where is, you know, we're, we're coming to, to, to a point of the movie where, um, you know, Morgan's going to go and there's going to be the great escape. And, and I wonder for you with your family, you know, we, we talked about, hey, Austin, San Antonio, kind of safe places to live. But where is, when you look at your, your years coming up and you want to retire, where's George going? Where are you taking the wife? Where are you going? Where are you going to relax and get away from it all? And then why are you choosing that spot? If I win the lottery, Lake Como <laughs> in Italy. Oh, okay. Because I just, to me, that's the most amazing place I've ever been. Okay. And I would love to, I would tell me why you love that place. What's, what makes it so special? I love everything about Italy when I've been, yeah. I've been there, I think three times and just 
you know, how you can have a $9 bottle of wine with your dinner and it's, it's a great bottle of wine that doesn't give you a headache. And you can walk through these quaint old towns that have all this history and, and character to them. But Lake Como is just one of the most spectacular places I've ever seen. So if I won the lottery, I want to go there. If okay. not, I'm happy here in Florida. When you're an old guy, old Jewish guy, you live in Florida. That's what you do. <laughs> and uh, so I've always wanted to live here and I have no plans on leaving. Nice. And what made you choose Tampa of all the cities in Florida? I was making my last film called Licensed to Parent. And uh, a videographer, Alex Mangello, and I flew down here to do the interview with this gentleman who lived in Madeira Beach. Okay. So we fly into Tampa and we rented a convertible and we're driving across the Howard Franklin Bridge mm -hmm. to Madeira Beach. And I called my wife and I said, I found where we're moving to. This is freaking amazing that really? this is so beautiful. And my wife was a team player and said, let's do it. So we did some research and moved here. Just picked up and moved. Wow. Yeah. What, um, so your other film that you did, talk to me about that real quick. It's called Licensed to Parent. Okay. And the whole premise of the movie is we let anybody in this country have children without any requirements whatsoever to have the job. And anybody that has children will acknowledge it's probably the most important job that there is. Yeah. So if I, if I want to do anything in this world, I need a document or some kind of license for it. But if I want to get together with somebody and have a baby, all I have to do is bring it home. And I may be the most inept, incompetent moron in the world, but I'm allowed to do that. And I'm not advocating licenses. It was more of a wake-up call saying it's a job you need to take seriously. And we need to do more to support parents in this world. You know, parents are, a lot of parents are completely on their own and overwhelmed by their family situation. And if there's more support for them in terms of people they could talk to, where they could get advice, where they could take problems to, I think that children, so many children are raised in situations that, that are very challenging for them. And we throw it away by not having more parent education, more classes. The only thing they care about when you have a baby, you probably remember this is, did you put the car seat in right? Oh yeah. Not that you're a complete moron who shouldn't walk out of there with a child because you can't take care of yourself. Um, and, and so they'll come out and make sure, okay, is that seat strapped in right? How about saying, okay, do, do you have a room for this child back home? Do you have diapers? Can you feed the child? Do you yeah. have a plan for their education? So all of that stuff, that's the idea behind the movie. But I didn't get a lot of traction with it because we didn't raise enough money to really promote it. But it's, it's available online, and, and I, I like the film a lot um, because I think that's an important subject. I mean, I have, I have five kids. You have five nobody kids? Should have given me, nobody should have given me children. I mean, I would say when I was, you know, especially in my 20s and 30s, no one should have given me kids, right? I got a seven-year-old yeah. now. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have her. But I have two rules. And they're very simple, and it gets me in a lot of trouble. One, the only word she's not allowed to say is can't. It's the only one. Can't, you're not allowed to say it. Don't say that word. Well, it, I'll get a call from a teacher, and I've gotten calls. It's hilarious. There's like, hey, um, we're a little confused, but your daughter came up and said that, uh, you know, the young boy in our classroom was cursing. We sent her to the principal, though. It was very serious. And he promised he wasn't. And there was a big who-to-do in the classroom. And finally, we said, uh, you know, 
to your daughter, we said, what did he say? And she goes, he kept saying he can't do it. And that's a curse word. Now also, my daughter will drop an F-bomb <laughs> and be like, so? At least I'm not quitting. Hmm. Good yeah. or bad parenting, I don't know yet. You know, and then the other thing that I do is because, and I forget where I heard this, but um, you know, they said, you know, your kids, you being their parent, mom and dad, whatever your family structure is, that's the one relationship they never chose ever. So how are you doing? So I'll sit down with her and go, how am I doing? You didn't choose for me to be your dad. I'm a crazy person. I'm up all night. I work on four hours of sleep. You know, I'm a crazy person. And yet, you're stuck in this crazy world with me. So how am I doing? And what am I doing wrong? And everyone's like, oh, don't give a kid that up. They'll tell you you're, you're, you're giving them veggies for dinner. That's what's wrong. It's like, no, kids are super smart. They're awesome. And my kid tells me, I remember she told me, hardest thing I ever heard. She goes, dad, I don't like it when you raise your voice. I don't like it. I go, okay. So I'll work very hard not to raise my voice anymore. I'll work hard at it. I was embarrassed. But I, that, that my ego was impacting my kid. That my point across was what I had learned. Raise your voice. Get your point across better. It was scaring her and it wasn't a thing for her. But because I heard some asshole say, you should ask your kid how you're doing as a parent. I got that cold wake up call. But then six months down the road, I got the best thing I ever heard. She goes, hey, you know, you haven't raised your voice in a long time. And I love it, dad. Thank you so much. Yeah, those are special moments when that happens. That's, uh, those are things you, that you, you cherish, those moments, when they get it. Yeah. She's seven and she gets it, right? She doesn't get everything, obviously. She's seven, but she got that. She's like, oh, wait, I can, I can ask my dad to be a better person and he'll work hard at doing it, which should give her the peace and the freedom, I would hope, to move forward. She's right? seven right now? She's seven, yeah. Oh, just wait. You have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm telling you. There, I tell my daughter, I have a 10-year-old, um, a how cute she was before she started talking. Yeah. Because <laughs> as adorable as she is, the things that come out of her mouth, you go, this is unbelievable. Why? Who's putting up with this? So oh. you're going to have your moments. So seven's not, seven's not the worst age. You got more ahead of you. No, I, I, I love it. Uh, today, I got a call from the nurse's office. She was outside playing right before I was going to come pick her up. And a bar hit her. They were playing, so she hit her head in the bar. No cuts, Mr. Jepson, blah, 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 blah. Kid's going to get picked up. I'm like, great. So <laughs> I get her in the car, do the COVID pickup, get her in the car. I'm like, hey, heard you got into a bar fight. Goes, I didn't get a bar fight. I'm like, I heard you got into a bar fight. She goes, no, I didn't. I go, I heard a bar hit you. You didn't hit it back. I got a call from the nurse. She goes, oh, yeah, you know, I fell on the playground and I hit my head on a bar. I go, yeah, it's a bar fight. I'm just joking around with her. And she gets dead serious. She goes, dad, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell mom because it's my bar fight, not your bar fight. 
Yeah. Wow. You're gonna, you're gonna have your hands full. Just wait. George, the things I, have, I deal with on a daily basis. I can't imagine. I mean, my hands precocious is uh, is is light. You know, and, and and I think every parent goes through this, right? Uh, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think the great thing is, and, and you know this better than I is, you've got kids older than mine, is is very simple. You want to build up strong people. You want to make your kid better. You want to make this world better. You want to make your kid prepared. You want to have them ask the right questions. You want to have them challenge the world in a, in a respectful, proper way at the same time, making sure that their questions leave space for, for, for growth and greatness. Hey, you're going to have some challenges because they're going to challenge you in everything you do. And, you know, bring it back to your, to, 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 to your movie. Good. You should. You should. You know, um, you should be challenged. You, you should be thinking about how that envelope's pushed. And what that, that discomfort of what it feels like, because at the end of the day, let's be real honest, man, they're special. They are, they're kids, they're special. And yeah, I probably don't have any business raising a kid. <laughs> and I, you didn't need a license. And I didn't need a license, right? I've got a license for my business. I've got a license for this podcast. I've got a license for driving. None of which are nearly as important as a seven-year-old looking at me going, what advice are you going to give me today so that I'm better? We, this is fascinating that, that you'll appreciate. There, there was this statistic in our film, and I'm not remembering the exact um, numbers, but if you raise a child that's a healthy, contributing member to society, it's worth like $1.2 million. But if you raise a child that has problems and is bad, it's like double that cost in what it costs society in terms of children that end up incarcerated or in rehab or in other problems. And the, the cost to society of bad parenting is staggering if you put a dollars and cents thing on it, which still is nothing compared to the, the, the wonderful minds of children that you don't like to see destroyed. But it's a, if you just boil it down to finances, good parenting could get the country out of debt by, well, by so not having you, so many problems. So let me ask you this, you know, uh, we're at the end of the movie here, driving in the convertible, we're on our way to the beach. The challenge I have with where we live today and everything that's going on is that good, bad parenting, to your point, that cost, that million dollar cost per kid. Is there an insight you can give? And I don't want this, this doesn't, I'm not, make, I'm not trying to ask this question to be political. I'm asking this question because I just don't understand sometimes. Why does something like COVID catch on that'll shut down economies and countries, but bad parenting won't? Why will suicide 30 veterans a day and more outside of them killing themselves every day, not stop a country to go, hey, we gotta fix this. And I'm not making light, I'm not trying to make light of anyone who's lost anyone or had a family member who's had COVID who struggled, I'm not at all. I'm just trying to understand weight 
and why there's not more weight on other things. And I don't know. And as a person who's delivered the news, who's been in the news, who's met so many people, who's tackled issues like last house standing, who's tackled issues about parenting and understanding, why, why hasn't this been that thing that's caught on? Are we embarrassed? I mean, it, it, it's that simple that, guess what? There's just so many shitty parents out there that we're just embarrassed, so we just ignore it? Well, I, first of all, yes. <laughs> I, think that, I, I, I think that that's definitely the case. But if you look at something like uh, the, the coronavirus, there's even a divide on that. You have people sure. that think you don't need to wear a mask. There's people that say you should wear a mask. There's people that think you shouldn't send kids to school. You have to close up your businesses. I mean, you hear so many different things. And that gets sucks up all the oxygen in the room. And people say, you don't have a right to tell me this. Well, a lot of parents say that too. You don't have a right to tell me how to raise my children. You don't have a right to tell me um, what good and bad values I can give my child and what's important in their life. And, and maybe to some extent that's true, but I equate it to a smoker and, and it's boiling down to cigarette smoking. You can walk into a bar or you used to be able to smoke on airplanes. Sure. Yeah. You I remember to be able to, I've had people sit in front of me at, at football games years ago where they're smoking a cigar or a cigarette and the smoke is blowing up in your face. And my point is, well, put a helmet on so you can contain your problem and it's only affecting you. So if you're a crappy parent and you live out on a compound somewhere where your kids don't go into town and you're just isolated, yeah, you can do whatever you want. But once those little criminals start wandering out into society, and are causing problems to other people, now your individual rights are interfering with somebody else's. Sure. So the problem that you ignored now becomes my problem. And that's not right. And, and you could make that same argument with the virus too. You could say, hey, you can go out and party and do whatever you want, but do you have a right to give me the virus? You know, if you, can't, if you can contain your problems and parenting, bad parenting affects everyone. Because yeah. those kids go out there in the world, they become bullies, they become aggressive children, or they become victims of other children. And young people need to be protected. They need to be not, you know, not, you don't want to overprotect them, but you know what I mean. Yeah. There's an innocence to being a child. And, and parents need to do their job, and they need to understand the consequences of their job. And I know a lot of them that don't. Do you think, you know, uh, last question for you here. I, I wonder this, um, do great storytellers and insightful news people in this, in this shift that we have, that's, you know, whether it's the long form podcast, where everyone's like, Hey man, Quibi, I'm going to get you a show in 12 minutes. You're going to watch a, sh you're going to watch every segment in 12 minutes. It's, it's an hour long, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's whatever it is. And here we go. Boom, 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 boom. You got your five episodes, one hour, 12 minutes each. We're golden. And then you have the contrast of a, of a Rogan. You have a contrast of a Mark Maron. You have these people that are like, oh, we're going to do a two-hour conversation. Like you and I, we're two hours in on this. Are the great news people, the people that we see and the people we don't see, are we going to find over the next five years that y'all have just moved to the documentaries and podcasts to where you can be free in not picking a side, but instead of just sharing information? 
you know, probably to some extent, but you know, so many of those, so many TV stations or networks now have offshoots in other places where they, they send their people. So like NBC News with MSNBC, mm-hmm. um, you know, Fox has a whole conglomerate of, of, of people and, and, and tentacles to what they do. So there's other ways that these people are expressing themselves. I think that, you know, I'm, I, I'm just disenchanted with that media medium as a whole because of the direction that, that it's all gone. Where, where, do, where do people go just to get the news? Where do you go just to find a story or hear how things are without somebody's spin on how you should respond to it? So I would think a good storyteller would want to find other ways to do it. I mean, I've, worked, I've had the privilege of working with some great reporters and anchors and people that are, that are really good at their job. Um, it seems like once they get to the top level, then they're allowed to start having an opinion. In the smaller markets, nobody wants to hear what you have to say other than doing your job. Um, and so it's, it's less tolerated. You know, it's like people have strong opinions about Fox News one way or the other. Sure. If you watch the local Fox affiliate here in Tampa, those people are just doing their job. You don't feel like you're getting hit with an agenda of anything. Um, and the same on NBC or CBS. But if you turn on MSNBC or CNN, you're going to get a totally different spin on what's happening in the world based on what they want you to hear. I mean, I, 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 would applaud, I would applaud Fox News on their morning shows. And what I mean by that is that they're, they, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, right? They've got their big morning shows. Good Morning America and Today Show and CBS This Morning and Fox is like, we're going to keep it local. We're just going to keep it local. We're going to do four or five hours of local. The local band's going to come in. They're going to play on the set. We're going to bring in the local baker talking about what cookies, you know, and the pumpkin spice latte person at, at Irene's is going to come in and they're going to show us how it's made. And I, and I actually really enjoy that part of it because it, it is very local. Like Fox has figured out, it, it, good or bad, uh, folks, not, I, always, I tell you because I'm going to get some emails now. You know, I can't believe you like Fox. It's, 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 not, it's not good or bad. It's that they've tapped into a local thing. They've just done something different. And that's what I like about it. It's not that whether a content is inconsequential. The approach is Fox could have dumped a shit ton of money into having another morning show, right? You know, uh, whatever, Good Morning Fox or <laughs> The Fox in the Hen House, whatever it is. They could have done that, just like Good Morning America. But they kept everything hyper-local. And it's very interesting to me because uh, I, I, think there's, I think there's a great value in that. Obviously, there's a better value in it um, if you can uh, just, you know, Joe Friday at just the facts versus, you know, putting your opinion in it. I mean, there's, you know, I, I don't, I, I rail, I don't rail. I, uh, I think George Stephanopoulos needs a little training on hiding his emotion. <laughs> I mean, the election night coverage, he's literally takes his glasses off and slaps his face and he goes, what are these people voting for? I don't get it. And I'm like, Jesus, George, you're still on camera. You're supposed to be a news person, not an opinion person. If you want to be an opinion person, that's okay with me. I'm okay with it. I really am. But, and someone's going to think in their head, how does this tie back to the movie? How does this tie back to any? Well, I'll tell you how it ties back, but quite simply is that when you have what you think is impartial being partial, then you allow the other things to happen. And some of those other things that happen are now, you know, you can't challenge 
a, uh, you can't go film a factory farm and give it negative. You know, you can't show the negatives of filming a factory farm. That's actually against the law now on the big farms. Why? Because they decided that that wasn't okay and they put their weight in as a big kid. And we missed out on the weight of the little kid. We missed out on the weight of the local farms and the coverage of them when that happened. Like, hey, this law's here, but hey, you can go check out cool chickens over here and buy it over here and do it over here. We missed those nuances. So to stop those big things means that we got to celebrate the little things. You, you know, everyone who's in for shopping local and small business Saturday or whatever it may be, that's great. Yep. It's great. But are you watching your small businesses the rest of the week? Are you concerned about your mayor? You know, this election cycle taught me one thing very importantly. Mayors are important. Governors are important might be more important than a president, you could argue, for their influence on your life. Yeah, they certainly can have a major impact on what gets shut down and what, what the controls are uh, around us. So you do have to take all that stuff seriously. You can't just yeah. assume that doesn't matter. I mean, every, everything you can vote for probably in some level matters. Yeah, it matters, you know, and, and this is, you know, this is, and I'm gonna, I'll put a pretty bow on it this way. So I want to talk with you. It matters. And what you're saying isn't controversial. What you're saying is homework. What you're saying is, is an hour. Hey, my kid comes home every day from school. Did you, did, you, did you do all your work? You know, she goes to school, but she's on the iPad, right? In her little glass wall yeah. cubicle. I can't hate imagine. The, hate the iPad. Hate the iPad. Like, Everyone before COVID was like, do not give your kids screen time. Do not give your kids screen time. COVID comes like, have you seen the iPad? (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's this thing where, man, the local is, is so important. Schools are open. Schools are closed. And conceptually, it also brings you home. Why are you worried about the cotton manufacturer in Maine that got $100,000 in PPP money? Why do you care? Because MSNBC told you to care? Why do you care? What's happening locally? Is your neighbor okay? I had a neighbor got sick. He needed his lawn mowed because his dog's weird, wouldn't shit in high grass. Are you kidding me? Your dog is so pretentious that if the grass is above two inches high, it doesn't poop outside? I'll go mow your lawn. But I know my neighbors to do that. If this thing's taught us anything, if your movie's taught us anything, the reason why I want to talk to you is because you're giving us honest homework, not bullshit. You're not on a platform saying if this and this and this happens and you pass this law, all homes are safe. And if you do this, this, and this, all kids are safe. It's a responsibility. It is the purest form of responsibility. George, what, what you're doing, I mean, I get, maybe it just rings true to me because I'm a kid from Montana who got my ass kicked when I did something wrong. But you're asking people to be responsible, to actually take ownership for what they're signing their name to, to take ownership for where they're resting their head, to take ownership for that little person that's asking them questions, to take ownership across the board and all those things. 
do you think about that? Like, do you, do you step back and go, I'm a dad. Hmm. And I'm being a dad to a lot of people now that I did not raise in a good way. Well, I, you know, maybe I'm a touch more cynical about it. <laughs> only, only I almost because... cried twice this podcast. He was like, listen, Jason, let's get to the heart of well, it. No, I, I love your ideals and, 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 and the way you say things. But, but my feeling is I can come to you and tell you that you need to do all of these things and you can look at me and go, nah, not interested. And there's nothing I can do about it. But at least I told you. Sure. At least I said, look, be aware. And that's what I'm hoping that the film will do is just make people aware because you can't, you can't, tell, you can't make people do things in most instances. You can only encourage them. You try to guide them. It's like raising your child. They're going to eventually do what they want, but you hope you put them in the right direction. So with your house, your valuables, your possessions, how you are as a parent, you just got to do your best and, and not think of just yourself. Think of how that affects everybody else. You have to have a sense of community because you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if my house is a, is, is a shed and it blows in and destroys your house, wow, I've now taken out two people. So you, you have to just think beyond yourself. A, a, a world full of selfish people is not going to get anything bad. That's the reality to me. Last thing, if, last thing for you before my daughter sings about the first time she took a poop by herself. It's a famous thing here. It's, on a, the good it's a good time. It's a good time. I got, I got to record it. You know, this is the best thing about these phones, right? She's like, Dad, I poop by myself. I'm like, sing a song, hold on, and record. But in the work you've done, delivering the news and, uh, and arguably keeping people safe and, and a lot of things you've done, when you think about your kids and you're gone, what do you want them to say about you? Well, if they could have moments like I had with my dad and just think, you know, he was a, he was a really good guy. He loved me and he took care of me and wanted the best for me and tried to, and did his best to show me the right way to do this. And that's what you hope. You know, you hope your kids can look back and have moments where fun moments that they had with you that they just go, well, I remember the day my dad walked with me over to the totem pole in the park and showed that to me. Or as you say, you know, took your daughter out of the way 500 miles to have a crappy pancake. You know, it's the, it's those moments that you just hope they carry with them. So they have great stories to carry on about you. Cause I have those about my parents. I have them about my grandparents. And I, I think those things are important. Yeah. I, I love the memory of, uh, I'd shot a couple of gophers and my grandfather was like, hey, I'm going to get you good ice cream. I'm like I'm going to get licorice ice cream, black licorice ice cream. And he's like, you're not going to like it. And you're not going to get another scoop. I go, dad, grandpa, I'm going to like it. Because, eh, you're not going to like it. And I got it and it was awful. I ate the whole thing. Because he bought it for me. And it was awful. And I learned. I didn't get to throw it away and go get strawberry or vanilla or chocolate. Like, you chose that. Eat it. Now. <laughs> it, was, it was tough love. It was amazing. But today's generation would say, you can't make me eat that. And they would just throw it out. And yeah. they'd threaten to get a lawyer if you made them eat it. I mean, you know, it's a different world now. You can't. <laughs> tough love is gone. It, it, it's, it's gone and it, it desperately, desperately needs to come back. Yeah. George, I, I got to say uh, from, you know, it's, it's uh, two, two things as we close out here. 
uh, one, it's always humbling to talk to someone who has done the news and uh, who does movies and documentaries well. I just, it, it is because I'm not, I mean, I'm the guy who's sitting here having a couple of beers chatting with you right and, uh, and and making a conversational and fun for me and I, you know and I, I hope the ride was as enjoyable for you as it was for me but it's always humbling for me because you're a professional in, in what you do and, and what you've done and I'm not I'm just I'm a guy who decided to do a podcast and, and chat with people smarter than me that'll be fun Two, you know we'll go to the store and we'll go buy bananas and avocados and strawberries and bread and they will get moldy and they will get bruised and they will rot and that pretentious avocado will not be ready until you think it's ready and then it's already rotten but we get to go to the store and buy more and time is the one thing we never get back it's the one thing you just can't go to the store and buy any more of uh so for you to take the time with me to share about your movie, your insights, your kids, your father, your professional career, it means a lot to me. And it, it is not missed on me in any way because it's, it's two hours and 20 minutes, you're never gonna get back. And then I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I hope people will, will listen to the whole thing. You know, oh, they not, will. Not even have to I'm not naive enough to think people will give me more than 10 seconds, but, but thank you. I appreciate it. It was a great experience. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I am going to do uh, tomorrow. I'm going to do some email intros to you, if you don't mind, uh, with some. No, I, I appreciate that. And I'll get you a link for the film. I want you to take a look at it. Okay. Um, and uh, not just the trailer, but, you know, you can check it out and, and hopefully share it with your listeners. Um, not that particular link. That's yeah, no. one just for you. Yeah, but we'll, um, we'll share. We'll share. We'll share the uh, the trailer link with them. And also, um, you know, if it comes to the PBS station here in Austin, let me know, man. I'll make a phone call. I know the people there. Let me know, please. Any way I can help. I will be giving, I will be making that call absolutely because they'll have it in the in the on the satellite, and then they just have to take it down and run it. So Perfect. absolutely, well, I'll let you know when it goes up to them. Perfect. Let me know. Sure. And as I said, I'm going to introduce you some other people, uh, some um, housing and uh, uh, reporter friends of mine that that I think would, would would find this very interesting, and then some some other lifestyle people that that I think would find it very interesting as well. So I'll make those introductions, no promises. But hey, one more introduction never hurts. Never hurts. Can't, never hurt. Doesn't hurt to try. And I appreciate any effort. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for the time. Thank you for everything you do. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Be good, have a wonderful weekend. And uh, if we, uh, for some reason, don't talk prior, happy holidays, my friend. Um, Thank you. Be good and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Take care. Appreciate you. Bye-bye. Bye.